Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I have an idea for the new assistant coach. You do? Yeah. Who's that? Me. Really? Yep. And can I? Can we do a mock interview? Please. So, uh, Ward, we understand you're interested in the vacant assistant coaching position available once, uh, of course, the news settled that Bruiser Flint has left the program. Yeah, I mean, depending on the salary, I'm interested. Oh, well, it's a minimum wage. That's, that's more than I'm making now. Okay, cool. So you're in on that. Uh, just what are your connections with AAU coaches, specifically in the Midwest region? Um, I've seen people talk about a couple on the Peaks message boards. So, you know, I'm sure they're in the book. I could look them up. Are you willing to, let's just say, mm-hmm. someone drops a duffel bag at your front door. Yep. Tells you not to open it. Right. And gives you an address on where that duffel bag needs to be delivered. Are you okay making sure you aren't tailed and then picking up said duffel bag and dropping it at the predetermined location? Yeah, I mean... You're hired. Okay, great. (laughs) From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. There is one thing you bring to the staff that we have not had. A lack of experience? True, but also... A lack of talent? Talent, knowledge, experience, you know, wherewithal, like any of that. But also, specifically, you are powered by Tremendous. Tremendous. Tried to bring a little breath support to that one. I mean, I just can't imagine if somebody's listening to this. You know what? Who plays this out loud where anybody can hear it? I think Derek Elston used to, uh, which I really would have loved to see Coach Miller's face when the siren call is coming over from Elston's office. Maybe that's why Derek Elston is no longer on the staff. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Listen, uh, let's get to to talking a little bit uh, about this guest. Uh, you and I have been talking about this guy for a long time. I've been really excited to connect with him. Uh, it's another guy whose game I absolutely loved. And truthfully, coming on the heels of the Greg Graham interview, a true two-way player for Indiana, of which 
it's it's difficult to find two-way players in the NBA, the best players in the world. I mean, it seems like we're in a league now and a basketball world where there really are specialists. You are the guy who does X. And, and, and you always hear about three and D guys, you know. I feel like everybody except for the top 15 guys in the league are three and D guys at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like you have to be almost. And this was a guy. And then when you go to the college level, though, it's really difficult to find guys who are just who excel on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's a very tough thing to do. And this guy did and really grew in his four years at Indiana and four tumultuous years, to say the least. Ooh, man, when you, when you go on Wikipedia and it, it goes by colors of the wins and losses, and there is just a block of losses that, that goes 14 out of 15 or something ridiculous like that, you're like, man, how miserable must have that been? That and when you figure the coaching scenario into everything. You know, I mean, this guy had to deal with a coaching change in, the, in his tenure. And, and it happened, you know, at the end of his tenure, which is not a great thing when you're getting used to a system and then you have to learn a new system. But this guy, I just loved watching him play. He was strong. He was fast. He was athletic. He jumped so high on his jump shots. I loved it. And he deed the hell out of everyone. So I've been really excited kind of lost track of him a little bit in his post IU career. So it's uh, really exciting to kind of get back in touch with him and see what, what he's been doing. But again, a guy that was in an era of Indiana basketball that wasn't too long ago, but it kind of gets lost because there wasn't a ton of the team success that we wanted. But as we know from doing this, some of the best stories that we have found come from these players who went through these eras that just because they didn't win as a team, they were still going through just as much stress, just as much pressure, just as much work. And I, I'm excited to talk to him. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to yet another riveting interview on the Hoosier Hysterics. Eric, who are we looking at through our Zoom portal today? We are talking to a gentleman who hails from Miramar, Florida, Miramar High School, where all he did his senior year in high school was average not 20 points a game, not 30 points a game, not 35 points a game. He averaged 40 points a game. I mean, it's like unheard of. Averaged 40 points a game his senior year, which helped garner him co-mister basketball with Amari Stoudemire. He went on to matriculate at Indiana University where he became, and this is just near and dear to every Hoosier's heart, a two-time All-Big Ten defensive team selection. Mm -hmm. He was a Big Ten All-Star in 2006, mm -hmm. third team All-Big Ten overall in 2007. He is 65th all-time at Indiana University in scoring. He has the 12th best game of steals all-time at Indiana. He is tied for the most three-pointers made in a game. He set the mark at nine, nine three-pointers he made in a game. He also is tied for 10th all-time with a game of seven made threes. He is 13th all-time at IU with made threes, a nice round number of 150. And maybe my favorite stat, he is the all-time leader for most threes attempted in a game, which I love <laughs> because this dude loved to shoot the rock. 17 threes in a game. He was named an Indiana MVP his senior year alongside DJ White. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to, without question, the leader in most lift on his jump shots. We are talking to hot 
Rod Wilmont. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate the love. All right, first, what do we call you? Do we call you Hot Rod? Do we call you Rod? Roderick? What do you like? Um, I think just call me Rod. All right. Easy, simple. So, Rod, Rod, will you let the listeners know where you're at right now physically, but also where you are in life with this pandemic and work and all that good stuff? Uh, right now, I'm currently in Orlando, Florida. Um, as a head coach um, for one of the top um, postgrad programs in the country. Um, just, you know, this whole pandemic thing has been kind of crazy from recruiting wise, because a lot of Zoom interviews and stuff like that. So it's been a little bit difficult, but just like everybody else, just trying to get through it. Now, when you say postgrad, you're talking postgrad high school or postgrad college? So postgrad college. So basically, these guys are done with high school, and um, a lot of them are getting recruited to like high major schools, and um, just basically giving them a platform of what it's going to be like at that next level. So is this considered like a prep school? Is that is that a different thing? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, it's like a prep school exactly. And what's the name of yours? Um, it's called NTSI. Got it. And how soon will you be shuffling high-ranking good basketball players to Indiana University? Um, hopefully, well, it's crazy. I have a kid on my team right now, um, highly getting recruited from Purdue. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're talking some sense into him, Rod. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell him, man, hey, I'm trying to keep it real professional, you know? Indiana's a good school, too. You know, there's a couple other Big Ten schools are pretty good. But, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's a really good player. He's a, he'll be a freshman this year. and um, But he's seven foot one, which we definitely need some bigs over at Indiana right yeah. now. Yeah, Matt Painter's trying to get a monopoly on anybody over seven foot in the Midwest. Can he is he is he like a seven footer who can shoot or is he just a back to the basket dude? He is a he's a true big. Okay. True big. Um really can he can um finish with both hands, dunk with both hands, soft hands. He kinda he really reminds me a lot of Sean May. Oh wow. The way where, but just bigger because he's a lot bigger than Sean was because he's seven one, but yeah. got really good hands around the rim. Well we'll tell him to go to North Carolina and win them a title. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yeah. Rod, here's what I'll say to you. If the guy is set on Purdue, then you've got, I don't care if you have to Zoom, I don't care if you have to do social distance workouts, you have to go work with him and break his shot. I mean, you just got to start <laughs> anti-coaching him. <laughs> I mean, you just, and by the I way, know, right? if you don't want to do it, you could say, listen, I've got some real experts who can help you get to the next level. Put Ward and I on a Zoom with him. We'll work him out. <laughs> Shoot exactly like these guys do. <laughs> oh, God. All right, man. Well, listen, we we got a lot of ground to cover because you had such a great career and an interesting career at Indiana. But before that, we'd love to go back to the beginning of your basketball story down there in Florida. How did you, I know your basketball runs in your family. How did you fall in love with the game of basketball? What are your earliest memories? Man, I, you know, I was, I kind of knew what I wanted to do at a very young age. Um, you know, I always wanted, my mindset was, I was always watching UCLA when Brandon Davis was at UCLA. And UCLA was actually my dream school to go to growing up. I just loved watching how they got up and down the court. And I told my mom one day, I'll never forget the story. I told her, 
hey, I'm going to make you guys proud. I'm going to play big-time basketball on ESPN CBS one day. Mm. And ever since I said that, and I said that like probably like in sixth grade, wow. I like literally worked on my game every single day. I just remember so many days where my mom in Florida, because we had a pool growing up in the backyard, and I literally used to dribble late at night around the pool and if the ball went in the water, I considered that was like a turnover. So <laughs> not to have the ball go in the water because then I had to go out there and try to go get it in the yeah. pool. So we've talked to a couple other Florida Hoosiers recently, Charlie Miller, Will Sheehy. How much do you have to love the game of basketball to avoid being sucked up in the football culture? You know what? That's um, I don't know if you guys really know much. My high school was a big time. We, we don't. A- absolutely we not. About right. anything. <laughs> My high school was a big time uh, football school. You guys know Geno Smith? Sure. Yeah, of course. Geno Smith was at, he went to Miramar High School. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so um, we, were, we had a lot of dudes. So I always, that was one thing I wanted to do was go to a school where basketball, that's all they cared about. And um, that was one of the main reasons why I picked Indiana. Because Indiana is a basketball state. So you're dribbling around the pool. Obviously, I I would imagine you're playing a bunch of pickup games and playing in leagues and stuff. When did the game change for you from, I know what your goal was at an early age, but when did you realize that this, this dream really could become a reality, that you had something extra that these other guys around you didn't? I realized that going into my freshman year in high school when um, Coach Coleman, which was my head coach at in the high school, um, he came to me. He was like, man, you're, I've been around this game a long time. You're going to be something very special. And, you know, yeah, coming in as a freshman, you know, I had a lot of haters, especially the upperclassmen, you yeah. know, because you know, I came in right away as a freshman. I started. Mm. and But I worked extremely hard. And I had a coach that believed in me, too. So that made it even more more better because he always wanted me to be great. And he pushed me. And I was the first freshman at, um, in, this, in there in, um, at, at Miramar that averaged 20 points a game as a freshman. Wow. So I just, you know, I think I, I knew I had a gift because I could really shoot the ball. But I was really skinny in high school. So I didn't know, but I could really shoot it. And, and it just kind of, that's when I kind of think, man, I might, my dreams might really come true. Like he working. Did you cross paths, uh, summer ball, high school ball by chance with Amari Stoudemire, the other great player from your class? Me and Amari were always great friends. Mm. Um, uh, me and Amari played AU together for two years with Team Adidas out of Florida. Um, we, we, we've been in, t- been in touch ever since um, he went to the league out of high school and he's always been a good friend of mine and uh we still keep in touch to this day and but man we were we were really really good in high school really really good we lost <laughs> come in the state championship my um junior and senior year wow junior year he still he still talks a lot of crap about it because they beat us by buzz oh, in the state championship oh yep bank in the half court no oh, way no in the title in game state. In the title game. Oh, that is how, brutal. How many points did you score in the title game? I actually, in that champion, the, the game before, I had 56. Oh. <laughs> and then, um, 
in the championship game, I think I only had like 25. Oh, they ran, they ran, I remember they ran like a boxing one yeah. and all types of stuff like that. So, you know, a jump shot is very much like a golf swing where once you kind of develop it, it is very difficult to really change your mechanics. You, you watch like Steph Curry and you go all the way back to even see like AAU stuff. The shot looks very similar. You had a unique jump shot. You had tremendous lift. I mean, I can still see it in my head, how high off the ground you got. Did, was that just always your jump shot? Were you always just a natural athlete and you used that jump to, to you know, elevate over anybody that might be guarding you? Or was that a, just a conscious decision for you to, to do that? I've always been a jump shooter. Um, it's kind of how I was taught. Um, I know you guys probably be like, man, this is going to be crazy. But I was taught by my mom. Well, she was a baller. She played at Baylor, right? Yeah, yep. Mom played at Bailey. She was really, really good. She still has a lot of records at in uh, for high school in Houston, Texas. Mm, they nice. haven't been broken yet. Um, but she she's the one that really helped me in my jump shot. I, you guys, it's crazy things. You guys be like, man, that's crazy. We used to when I was a, in high school. Me and my mom used to go to the park here in Florida, and we literally used to run the whole court. And everybody was like, oh, here comes, here comes um, Rod and his mom. They're about to win five, six games straight. <laughs> and I always told those guys, I mean, y'all better guard my mom like a dude. She's going to light you up. And so she was the one that kind of said, hey, this is how you need to come off this. This is how you need to create space. And she, my mom had really a, a great knowledge of the game. And she's the one that kind of helped me become a really good jump shooter. And was she a guard as well? Yeah, she was uh she was like a three four oh, okay. in college. And um so she was like a shooter and she played the post a little bit. So we hear a lot from people that we've talked to about their dads are the ones who taught them. And there's always the great moment of like you play one on one against your dad, and then at some point the 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 son is able to overcome the dad. Were you playing one on one against your mom? My mom, I played her a few times. She beat me one time. <laughs> and uh, that was the only time she beat me, but uh, that was like in my, that was like my freshman year she beat me. I bet she, let, I bet she let you hear about that too. Oh yeah, she still makes me hear about it. <laughs> All right, so you're, you're doing incredibly well in AAU. You're doing incredibly well in high school. Uh, that dream that you had, you know, as a youngin that you're going to play big time basketball is becoming a reality because you're starting to get recruited. Who are the first big schools that are reaching out to you? And were you, did you still have your eye on UCLA hoping for that offer to come in? Um, obviously, UCLA was always one of, the, one of the schools I really wanted to go to um, growing up. Um, my first big offer was from um, University of Miami. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, coach Hamilton was there at the time. Um, they, they came to very, very – very underrated coach. Totally. Mm -hmm. Very, very. I mean, you look what he did in Miami and at Florida State now, and it is, he's made him a national program. Exactly. He does not get enough credit that he should. I mean, he should be up for coach of the year a lot, a lot, but that's all another story. But so coach, coach uh, reached out to me, my family. I used to go to a lot of um, University of Miami games because at that time they were in the Big East. Mm-hmm. And um, so I used to watch them play against Boston College, all those teams when they used to come in. And um, 
So believe it or not, I actually was verbally committed to the University of Miami wow. going into my sophomore year in high school. Oh, you committed early. I committed early, and then Coach Hamilton got fired. And then that's when I got in. That's when I reopened my recruitment, and then, and then there's a barrage of schools that started coming from there. And who who were who were the who made the final group for you? Like everybody narrows it down. Ultimately, did you have a few schools that you were deciding between? Um, so I narrowed my choices down to um, um, obviously University of Miami, um, Indiana, Boston College, um, Florida. NC State and um, Kentucky. Uh, so let's let's spend a minute and talk about Indiana. You're obviously your mom came out of the college basketball world. You're a basketball kid. What was your knowledge of what Indiana was before they started recruiting you? Did you have any knowledge of the history of IU? I did. I I, I knew a little bit about Indiana. Um, obviously, growing up, I I heard about Coach Knight. Um, into that stuff, and um, and I always, but you know, once I got into my recruitment was a little weird, a little bit with Indiana, I say, because um, Coach Jim Thomas is who recruited me to Indiana. He's from Florida. Got it. So he saw me, he saw me play, and came to my games a few times, and um, that's how that recruitment started with Indiana. And um, and this made it so much easier too for me because that year, my senior year, Indiana made it to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was my senior year when they lost to Maryland in the national championship. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of buzz around the Indiana program, and you know, coming me coming in with Bracey Wright, Marshall Strickland, um, one of Davis' first recruiting class, which you know we were really ranked highly of a recruiting class that year too with those two coming in as well. So it kind of all – and then we had also – Sean May was supposed to come. Yeah. And he yeah. backed out on us at the last minute. And so um, – but that's kind of how that whole recruitment started with um, Indiana. And when I took my visit, man, the love – I went to a Purdue game. It was a whiteout. Mm. And it was just nuts. I was like, no way this is like this every game. No way. You, your official visit, was that the year that Indiana went to the championship game? Yep. So things were rolling a little bit that year. We won the Big Ten that year, tied for the championship. So you got to feel Assembly Hall. Talk us through your visit and what it was like. Again, you had your mind on wanting to be at a place that was just basketball-centric, and here you are at the mecca of that. What was that like for you walking into Assembly Hall for an environment like that? Words can even explain the atmosphere that place brings I, I i tell everybody all the time um i was it's kind of explaining that to charity a little bit too because um me and her were supposed to go i was supposed to i was going to take her to a game this year but um, my flight got canceled that was a whole mess because okay. i wanted her to experience it for, for herself and um it's just it's it's a feeling, man. Just even talking about it now gives me chills. Mm-hmm. It's just like you just like it, that's why I'm just so confused sometimes how 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 we're losing games there right now. Mm-hmm. Like it, the fans just won't let you lose. I don't know if you guys remember this, but my senior year we weren't undefeated at home. That's the yeah. last time I've done it was my senior year, and 
but they just wouldn't allow you to lose. And so when I took my visit there, it was just the atmosphere was crazy and the fans were nuts. The student body was just so, so much love to the players and the, the alumni, man, it's just, I can't explain how much love the alumni bring, no matter when you're playing or not playing, they're just always trying to be there for you. And it's, the, it's literally the greatest fans in the world. There you go. I was just going to say, Ward, I want to make, he made mention of Charity. Charity is his girlfriend, right, Rod? That, by the way, I want to make sure everybody knows, she is listening to this conversation right now. <laughs> so that actually prevents us from asking you the question we ask all 17-year-old kids that go to Indiana about how you liked the co-eds that you saw when you landed on campus in Indiana. We will skip that portion of the interview because Charity <laughs> is listening. We will just we will just pretend that you were so moved by the basketball environment that that was everything to you and that's why you committed. But but talk to us about Mike Davis. You know what? Coach, I still talk to Coach Davis to this day. Um, I you know, guys, I, I really – this is just, you know, my personal opinion. Me and Marsha talk about it all the time. Um, coach Davis was a great coach. Um, I think – I just believe, you know, whoever took that job after Coach Knight was going to get scrutinized by a lot of different things because you're, take, you're, you're taking a job uh, right after a Hall of Famer. I mean, so Indiana was used, Indiana was used to one thing. And we always talk about this. A lot of the players, me, DJ, Earl, um, Strick, all of us talk about this to this day. I really believe Coach Davis kind of held us back a little bit. Didn't really let us flourish to how, you know how the guys play now? They get up and down. And, I mean, they just really play the game in the open floor. We had a team that could really do that. Mm. But I think it was more, I think, coach was trying to be more in a way to the point where trying to make the Indiana faith mm. people happy and what they were used to with coach Knight instead of he had so much we had so much talent guys mm. I'm telling you you guys wouldn't even like you would be like man this no, we didn't play like we should have with our talent that we did have we played totally different and we tried to play the traditional Indiana way where we could have played a completely different type of style if we were really if we really were able to do that but I think coach Davis was just trying to make everybody happy and it was his first job mm -hmm. so he was in a very 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 hard predicament from the get-go but other than that man he I think he did a really good job um for what he what we the, the cars he was dealt with well, and when you see how he's evolved as a coach in the years since he left Indiana, you really think that a lot of what he was doing was trying to placate a fan base that was already particularly like in love with the style of basketball they'd been watching for decades, rather than being true to maybe his own instincts? Yes. I, I To this day, we I totally, totally agree with that. It's just, I just felt like we weren't, he didn't let us play to our potential, to what we could really been. I mean, we we had some years, man, where we, I just thought we could be really, really good. But they, he, I think Coach Davis was fighting the fact where, man, should I let these dudes go and just let them flourish? Or should I just play this, this half-court, 
type of basketball that everybody's been used to for so many years with the motion. Coach Knight ran a motion. Yeah. And, you know, Coach Davis is more of a ball screen guy and type of stuff, but he kind of made it shorter to where it wasn't so much. It still looked like it was a little bit like motion, if that makes any sense. It, it does. When you got up there as a freshman and you started practicing with Coach Davis and this great freshman class and the guys who were already there, what changes did you have to make to your own game and the way you played with the team compared to what you were used to in high school scoring 40 points a game? I thought when I got to Indiana, you know, obviously I was really raw, but very talented. I mean, I, I could really score, but I had to learn the game too at the same time. Um, and when I got to Indiana, Coach Davis really taught me a lot of different things. And our assistant coaches that we had were really, really good too as well. And um, it was just a different change of pace because we had the players that could really get up and down the court at that time with Marshall. Marshall was a what top 20 guard in the country yeah. as well. And Bracey Wright was a McDonald's All-American. So we had – we had the pieces to, to, to that standpoint where we could have really done some different things. And I think Coach Davis has even told me if he would go back to, the, to our freshman year and our sophomore year, he would have done a lot of things different. It's funny you say that because we talked to Dave, uh, Coach Davis. We had him on the podcast. And while we didn't get into overall stuff like that, we talked specifically about George Leach. And he says, and, and Coach Davis says, one of his biggest regrets is that he didn't use George Leach at all correctly. He's like, if he wishes he could go back, he had this seven-footer who was so athletic and could run the court, and he was just making him a back-to-the-basket bid. And he said he looks back at that and thinks about how the game is played now and wide open and alley-oops and, and really, like, spacing the court. And Coach Davis really has regrets about, about that. So – it's hard to put yourself in his shoes because, he, like you said, the pressure he was under, I mean, I, there's just no coach in the history of the game who has had to deal with the pressure that he dealt with. Because Coach Knight wasn't just a Hall of Famer. He is the Hall of Fame. I mean, he, it's, it's a different thing. And, and it's, it speaks to Coach Davis's character that he looks back at those years and, and voices regret and can say, I wish I would have done things differently. Because some guys in that position have such an ego, they couldn't even admit that. Well, I, I think for, you know, to definitely to defend um, Coach D, it was his first coaching job. Yeah. So and at, at a top five school in the country was his first job as a head coach. So, I mean, man, I mean, trials and tribulations he was going through. I mean, he was experimenting, experimenting with us, basically. Mm -hmm. So now when I watch him coach now, I – I'm like, dang, he didn't let us do that type of stuff like that. <laughs> I said, so I, I, used, I set up a text here and there. I'm like, dang, coach, I just watched y'all play, man. You didn't say nothing to old boy when he took, you said, but I think, like I said, it was a learning curve also for Coach D. And I think, and he, he's even said it where he wished he would have had like the UAB job, Texas Southern job first and then yeah. take this job at Indiana. Because he would have been a totally different coach from, from learning those experiences he had with those teams and then taking a, the, a, a big-time program like Indiana. Now he can kind of do his own thing because he had, had more experience. Sure. So when you 
get there when does the decision come and look you're used to being like the best basketball player in the state tied with Amari Stoudemire and then it's time to to make the decision to have you redshirt how does that conversation go how do you deal with that man <laughs> you guys you guys you guys see my whole career I'm a passionate I was a passionate player I play with a lot of emotions so I, I hold a lot of emotions on my shoulders Man, when Coach D brought me in the office, I'll never forget like it was yesterday and told me he was gonna redshirt me. I was devastated. Yeah. I was so devastated. And I I cried, I'm not gonna lie, I cried like a baby. Mm. I was hurt because at that time when you're 17, 18 years old, you you're not thinking why that type of decision is being made. All you're thinking about is the the time now in that present moment and obviously i'm all i'm thinking about is playing getting you know playing getting better and you know putting up numbers here at indiana that that was my mindset and when he called me in the office and said that he, they were going to redshirt me man i was like y'all can't i mean you just can't be for real right now and but it was it was the greatest decision that they could do for my career ever Mm. It helped me so much. I don't know if you guys know this, but in the middle of the season, they wanted to take me out of red shirt. Oh, really? Oh, because 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 Bra Bracy got hurt? No, not no, not because Bracy got hurt. I mean, I was because I used that fuel. You guys, like I said, you guys know I play with so much passion. Yeah. I used that fuel in practice. Man, I was killing them <laughs> <laughs> every single time. We, I was on the red team, the scout team. I was literally just go after all of those dudes. Mm. And, 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 and coach brought me in one day was like, we might've made the wrong decision. We, <laughs> would you like to, would you like to play? And I said, nope. <laughs> it was like already, I was already like in the middle of the big 10 season. I was like, nope, I'm cool. Uh, I'm cool now. Enjoy when I'm a scout team for Michigan State, when I just get to keep shooting, shooting, I'm just going to kill them. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it, I, I use that. To, I, that's why I think God's blessed me to, to help this younger generation. I didn't use that as a negative. I used that as a positive and really worked on my game and competed at a high level in practice. And because practice was like, was my game, my freshman year. And right. That really helped me become the player I, I, I became at Indiana. And, and does redshirting help you at all have more time to go, say, to the Varsity Villas on a Friday or Saturday night? Or are you just <laughs> as focused as the other players? I, I'm not going to lie. Hey, when when those guys had to get ready, for, I knew I wasn't playing my freshman year. So I was like, man, look, I, I would be at the frat houses. I was cool. <laughs> I, I, all I knew was I could be a shoot-around. And then make sure I was uh, eat as much as I want because I wasn't playing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my red shirt year was great. I, mean, I love it. Uh, phenomenal. Um, I'm curious uh, about that team that your red shirt year because that team is really the transition from there were still some leftovers from the Coach Knight era. Specifically, like Tom Coverdale was a senior captain who. If there was anybody who exemplified the way Indiana played the game before, it's Tom. I mean, Tom got the most out of his talent. He wasn't a natural athlete, 
but he was tough as hell. You guys are similar in many ways in that you play the game with a lot of emotion. But clearly, the way that Coach Davis wanted to play the game and the way that Tom Coverdale was suited to play the game are very different. So there's a very big transition happening. What was your relationship with the, the upperclassmen on, on that team? Man, I, those, those, I, I love all those guys to death. They really, really helped me. They humbled me a lot, and they helped me a lot. Um, they, um, I mean, Cub, Jeff Newton, A.J. Moyer was my roommate for two years. No, we're going to get into that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but the upperclassmen, Jeff Newton, those guys really, they really took me under their wing and helped me become a good player. Um, I remember <laughs> we still talk about this to this day. Um, Mike Roberts, boss, we called him. Oh, yes. yeah. The boss used to be like, Rod, he said, I'm not going to lie to you. But I hated you as a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> you were so conceited. I was like, he goes, because Boss used to be the main dude, man. They used to literally set illegal screens every single time. <laughs> every single time. And I used to hate it. I wanted to just like literally just, just go up to him and just punch him right in the face. <laughs> he used to set so many legal screens on me on purpose because he just did not like me at the time. And me and Boss are great friends to this day. <laughs> well, wait, I want to tell you something. I texted Boss because we had him on, and obviously now he's the assistant coach at Indiana. And I said, hey, uh, we're interviewing Rod. You have anything, you know, that you can give me? And, and he, didn't give me, he didn't give me anything specific, but I want to read you what he said because I think you'll appreciate it. He said, Rod is the best. I don't have anything specific except to say, just how out of his mind he was as a freshman, but in a, <laughs> but in a good way. Guy has a great energy about him, strong as hell. Yeah. So he really like lit up talking about, about you and, and that infectious passion that you talk about you played with. Like as fans, man, that is the stuff. We love a guy who can shoot the basketball, but that energy and passion, we love to see a guy playing the game the way that we feel about the game. And you, of course, did that. So you get through your freshman year, and now it's time for you to come out and, and play. What was the summer like and the preparation the fall leading into now it's time for you to have your actual freshman year? I grinded, man. I, I was I always worked on my game. I was all when when people say, you know, a lot of players were saying, that's why I tell my players, be careful what you say, because I was that player that was always in the gym always working on my game. You couldn't get me out the gym. I like the game of basketball was my girlfriend hmm. and there was nothing else coming between it. And I just loved the game. I just loved the passion and the, the way I played. And I tell guys all the time, man, when you play hard, people remember that. And they, I mean, they won't remember. Some people remember you had one good game or something like that, but for your overall career, if you just play your ass off, they're going to, especially Indiana, they're going to remember you forever because yeah. I didn't play, I didn't play for myself. I played, I gave everything I had for Indiana when I wore that uniform, mm. everything. I played with a lot of passion. And that's why I can, sometimes it kind of hurts me a little bit when I see the way some of the guys play now there. They don't play, they don't play with that grit. They just don't. Like, there were just some games where, it wasn't the coaching. It was the players. We weren't going to let the other team beat us. Mm, right. 
It had nothing to do with coaching. It had to do with us digging down deep and saying, we're going to get this stop. Mm. We're going to win this game. We're going to do whatever we can. So if that's me diving into the stands, which I've done a million times to go save a ball, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, once, my, once it was my time, I wanted to show everybody how hard I play. And then once I showed how hard I play, my other gifts and skills that I had that God blessed me with, those were going to come regardless. It was going to come just because that's what I did naturally. Right. And, but you just can't, you can't teach effort and how hard you play the game and competing-wise. You just you can't teach that. You either have that or you don't. Well, And I'm wondering when you're tired, it's early in the morning or late at night, and you don't physically feel like getting into the gym, what's the thought that goes through your head that, that gets you out of bed, out of the door, and into the gym? Is it what you're working towards? Is it the thing you're working on? Is it who you're playing for? I played with for my family, God, and Indiana. That's what I played for. And when I when I played, I was I always said I, I would I you know, Indiana doesn't have names in the back of the jerseys, but you know, obviously on TV and all the time they say your last name. So when I when they said my last name, I wanted to make sure that when they were saying my last name, they were saying good things about me. Hmm. Not not oh he's been struggling or he's been this and that because I felt like if I wasn't playing to my potential. I was letting my family down more than anything. And, you know, and and everybody's watching. Everybody's watching. I mean, we play a national schedule on TV. So the whole world's watching. And so I just, you know, I always just had that chip on my shoulder, man. Like, and, you know, and I, it also helped me because I had great upperclassmen. You know, A.J. Moyer. I yes. mean, look at the passion he played with. Um, it wasn't fake. It, that's how that dude. That's how that dude was. I was his roommate for two years. That's. I mean, he was just a passionate person, and and I think when I watched him play, I was like, man, I want to be that next guy that will bring that same energy when he leaves. And that's kind of how I played, and uh, you know, and that's why now when I see the game guys play there now, that some of them. I just don't think they play hard enough. I just, that's just my personal opinion. They don't, I know a dude that's playing hard. Right. Cause I played hard. <laughs> I played yeah. my ass off. So I know what a dude's giving max effort out there to try to win a basketball game. I, cause I, I, I was that dude that did that. So I want to ask you uh, maybe a little touchy, but one of the more, I don't want to say controversial, but maybe misunderstood players that ever played at Indiana is Bracey Wright. Bracey came in with a ton of hype. I mean, a ton. And like you said, you guys were Coach Davis's first recruiting class. And everybody thought coming off, especially, you know, the Final Four and stuff, there was going to be a lot of momentum. Bracey, you, Marshall. And Bracey's career at Indiana was a weird one. He scored a ton of points. He shot a lot. He left early. He was injured. What do we as fans not understand about Bracey Wright? What was he like as a teammate? You know, Bracey, Bracey was, you know, like you said, that's a, that's a, that's a touchy um, subject. Um, Bracey came in with a lot of hype, like you said. He was Coach Davis' first McDonald's All-American at Indiana. So he had a lot of, I don't want to say favoritism, 
but he had a lot of pull, if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Like he got away with a lot of things that I think if um, a lot, lot of Hall of Fame coaches wouldn't let their star player get away with, even though they were the star. I think I think that's what, what makes Calipari so good. I mean, a lot of people might say they don't like Calipari, but you look who he's coaching. He's coaching five, He's coaching top draft picks, and he's trying to get them to gel together. Right. And so when you do that, you can't you can't favoritism anybody. And I think Bracy came in with a lot of hype. He scored a lot of points, but I think I think people took it that he wasn't playing hard, or it looked like he wasn't giving the effort, or he was only playing for himself. But Bracey really wasn't playing for himself. That's just who he was. That he was a laid back person. He was very talented. Um, you know, and it, it looked like, and I think, I think what people took the wrong way. I know what incident you guys are talking about is what he said in the paper. Right. His junior year said that he was using Indiana as a stepping stone with the, the league. And I think that turned people the wrong way, but I don't think he meant it to what people thought he meant it for. I think he was saying what he was trying to say was more, you know, I'm using Indiana to, to build work, to build my dream where I want to go be at one day. And I think if he would have reworded it right, people would have took it a little bit differently. But I, guys, I'm a very smart guy. I know exactly what incident it was <laughs> because it was all over the paper. And I think ever since then, that kind of like just kind of tarnished Bracey's legacy a little bit. Yeah. And not everybody doesn't look about look at him as what type of player he was because he was extremely talented. Mm-hmm. Extremely talented. So, Rod, getting into this first year of getting to play out on Assembly Hall Court, we'll get into specific games or the season in a moment, but what is your first great memory being out on Assembly Hall Court with a packed house? And, and, and I'm like, was there a, a shot you hit, a ball you stole where you heard the crowd erupt and you were like, wow, now it's for me? Redshirt sophomore year. Was oh it might might have been my redshirt freshman year. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was when we played Purdue. I literally came down. I hit a huge shot in the corner on the left side in front of our bench late in the game. Place went nuts. <laughs> we go back to the huddle, Coach David. This is when um, Teague and um, um, Low and all those guys were at Purdue at the time. And they said, don't leave the corner. Don't leave the corner. And guess what I did? <laughs> you left the corner. Friggin' corner. And T knocks down a three. <sighs> and they go up one. The very next play, Coach Davis calls timeout. I mean, they're just, they're, I mean, they're just livid. I mean, they're yelling at me and just livid. Like, we just told you don't leave the corner. You leave the corner. I mean. You know, there's some other words in there they were saying. <laughs> but I uh, I remember, I'll never forget, the, I forgot uh, one of the assistants came to me, be ready, Wilma, be ready. It was like maybe five, six, six seconds left in the game. And Bracey had the ball and he drove baseline. And our baseline drift down to the other corner and Bracey ended up passing it to me. And I hit a, right there with one point, like two seconds left, I hit a dagger. And hit another three. So I just basically gave up a three and then, and then hit the hit. And that kind of, I think that kind of started my career 
from like a playing wise of uh, me being the player that I became. And that was one moment that I will never forget. I, I am curious about your redshirt freshman year because the, I think the, one of the hardest things for any player, especially one that is a star, and let's be honest, if you're on scholarship at Indiana, chances are you were a star wherever you came from, you know, in high school. But now you're playing in Indiana, your redshirt freshman year, you've had this whole year of redshirting where you have worked your ass off to get here. And your minute usage is really up and down that year. Some mm. game, you're actually started a couple games. Your first game of the year, you only play seven minutes, have a rough game. Your second game, you play 25 minutes, you go for 13 points and nine rebounds. By the way, your rebounding as a guard is off the charts. I mean, one of the best rebounding guards that's ever played at Indiana. But really up and down throughout that year, which was a tough year for Indiana. Coverdale's gone. It's a transition period. We don't finish with a good record, 7-9 in the Big Ten, 14-15. and 15. But what was it like for you, Rod, to really not know game to game how much you were going to play? You know, like I said, all my experiences early in my career made me who I was at the end of my career. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why – I think that's what makes me a good coach now because I've been in all those situations – that these players go through. I was that guy that was like, I, I mean, I remember there was times where I had like a huge game. And then the next game, I played like seven minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm confused. And I, but you know what guys, was I discouraged in my mind? I was, cause I was confused. I was young. So I didn't know what the heck to, you know, you think I have 20 points. I'm like, man, I, I'm about to, you know, he's about to play me forever now. <laughs> and, you know, but it wasn't the case. It was just really weird. And I I never used it to – most – a lot of players will use that and they will mope around practice. They would, like, look like they don't want to be there. They might be even talking about transferring. Do you guys know my whole career, not once I ever thought about transferring. Really? Not one time. Even after the red shirt decision, you weren't like, I'm getting out of here. Nope, not one time. Because I was just always a competitor, and I always wanted to prove people wrong. Wow. And I, even my coaches, I wanted to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. And and I you because I always gave myself, if you play well, they have to play. They have to. You got to give them a reason to play. And that's what I used. That's what motivated me. So get your butt in the gym. Wake up early. Man, guys, if I would tell you some of my, my routine scheduling – that I had when I was in college, you guys were like, there's no way. Tell us. Yeah, give please. us give us a taste. I mean, just this this a long story short, man. I used to have 8 a.m. class. I usually use I would wake up at 6 a.m. and get shopped up at 6 a.m., go to weightlifting at 7, and then go to class at 8:30. And then between my class schedule, about noon or one o'clock. I would go back to the gym. I would get another thousand or two thousand made shots wow. up, and then go to my my last class of the day before we have practice at three thirty. Come back to the gym, go have practice for three and a half hours or whatever it was, and then I would go to get a couple extra shots up after. Go to study hall, right there in assembly hall, and then I would go back down to the gym, get the gun out, and I would shoot again from like nine o'clock to 11 o'clock and go back home and then do it all over again. Wow. That's what I did for four years at Indiana. 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, people say, you know, and I end up getting the record for the most threes in the game. And they, a reporter asked me, how does it feel? And I wasn't being cocky or anything. I, and I was like, you know, I put in the work. Right. I put in the work. I put in the work to shoot 17 threes in one game. Yep. I, didn't, I just didn't show up on the court and decide to do that. No, I literally worked to get those moments that I did get at Indiana. And those, those, those are the things that, you know, I did. I was always a worker, always. I worked my ass off every single So I worked for my minutes. Yes, you I did. For, every minute I had on Indiana jersey, I worked for those minutes. When you're putting that much time and effort into it, clearly it's it's who you are. I'm wondering when did you fall in love with Indiana University and say I'm a I'm a Hoosier and take ownership of that rather than you're new and you want to impress and you like the facilities and you heard Assembly Hall when we were beating Purdue on your visit. Like when does Indiana? enter into it if that makes sense i would say my my redshirt freshman year is when i like this is i, I see what this is about because coming from florida I, I i knew about indiana but i didn't know the culture yet i didn't know what it really meant to wear an indiana jersey until i actually saw what it meant mm-hmm. and but you won't know i most if you if you didn't grow up in the state of Indiana, no player coming from another state would know that. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, they just won't know that until they get there. But I saw the passion, how much it meant to the fans to to lose a game against Purdue. I saw what it meant to lose a game against Kentucky. Oh. I saw what it meant to lose against games to rivalries in the Big Ten during Big Ten season. Like I, I once I got to realize that, I was like. This is bigger than this is bigger than just me. This is a this is a state. This is young kids growing up that wish they could be in the Indiana University jersey. And and once I figured that out, I, I knew that's why I played so hard because I knew what it was about. And a lot of guys awesome. now that are getting recruited to Indiana, they don't know that yet. That's why they play the way they don't play as hard as they should because they only playing. For them, and they don't understand the culture. That's why I think it's so important that you have to have at Indiana, and you see all the top, the top schools in the country that have basketball, basketball love for their state. You gotta have Indiana guys on staff because that's what's gonna get them to understand what it is to play at Indiana. You know, and that's not knocking down the assistant coaches that are already there. It's just you got to have former players on staff because it gives them look at look at um, Duke's staff. Duke's got down there all Duke players, yeah, because they understand the culture. Because Coach K is not going to be the only one; he's not going to be able to tell all these guys on the team every single thing what Duke basketball is about. Now, when you're sitting there as a you're sitting there as an assistant and you've been in that where those guys are, I can tell them. Yo, I've been there. This was this is what it's about. This is what you got to do. Now it gets those guys more like, oh, okay, I see what you mean, coach. I see what you mean. And I think that's where we got to get back to at Indiana is playing for Indiana. How important um, Indiana, one thing I will give about Indiana fans and alums, they don't care about wins and losses. They don't. 
What they care about most is how hard you playing for us, for the school, for Indiana. Because when you play hard, wins are going to come. Yeah, I was going to say, ultimately, I think you're right because it's a great point. Because the truth is, like this is after you. But when Tom Cream came in and had to redo the whole program, that first year, that is the worst team that has ever played at Indiana University. They went 1-17 in the Big Ten. But if you ask fans, by the way, 15,000 people went to the games because we knew those kids were playing their ass off. When we see a team that goes like 10-10, and 10, but we don't think they're playing their ass off, we, that, that pisses us off more than anything. But like to your point, if you have guys that are all bought in, ultimately you're going to win. You are going to win eventually. It needs to start with that. And it's why I want to talk to you about your redshirt sophomore year now because this is now Mike Davis has had some time to recruit, and he really corners the market on Indiana kids. He brings in Robert Vaden, A.J. Ratliff, James Hardy, God rest his soul, and then he gets, reaches back down to Alabama for D.J. White. But Robert Vaden was a guy who left it all on the court. D.J. White is a guy who left it all on the court. Ratliff had a really rough career, and so did – and Hardy became a football star. So it became a different thing. But – Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're now there for two years. What was it like now being a little bit more of like an upperclassman and seeing DJ, AJ, and, and Vaden specifically come in? What was your take on those guys? I was a little bit different um, with those guys. I knew those guys were talented, um, and I knew they could help us even though they were coming in as freshmen. So I didn't use that as a, oh, I'm not going to like these dudes because they don't come try to take my minutes or nothing like that. Right. I knew they could help us. I mean, I knew DJ could help us, obviously, and I knew um, Vaden. Vaden's one of my good friends. Like, I knew Vaden, Vaden was at Vaden's game was nice. Mm-hmm. Love I mean, that one of the most nice. underrated players ever. Did well, he was nice. There's a reason why he got drafted second round. Yeah, I mean, Vaden had game. I mean, he was really, really good. He was, he was just, he was a very smart player. And um, you guys, and you, I, you'd be like, there's no way. Do you know out of that whole group who the most talented dude was on that recruiting class then? Who? AJ. Really? Mm. He just couldn't put it together. Guys, you would see this dude in the summertime in open gyms. You would thought, man, if he played like that, there's no way he's done. He's going to the league. He was so gifted, man. He, He had long arms. He was athletic. He could dribble. He can handle it. He could shoot it. He was really, really gifted. I think AJ's biggest issue was just mentally. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I think he had – he was Mr. Basketball of Indiana. I think he just had a, so much hype coming in. I think he put a lot of pressure on himself when the lights were on. And I think I, – this is just my opinion. I think AJ would have had a better career somewhere else and get mm. out of the state of Indiana. Mm. I think a lot of pressure he had. He had his family. He, had, he, was, Mr., he was Mr. Basketball. He was all this stuff in Indiana, so I think a lot of that mentally got to him a little bit and, you know, kind of the way his whole career was. But A.J., I'm telling you guys, he was the most gifted player wow. in that class by far. You know, D.J. was D.J. Sure. sure. Was DJ. I mean, 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, Everybody knew D.J. eventually was going to go to the NBA. Everybody knew that. And Vaden, Vaden was a glue guy. He was just – he was just – he was good. He was just a good basketball player. But when I when you watch talent wise, man, Ratliff, Ratliff was that dude, man. He was he was really really good, mm. really. Good. 
as you guys are incorporating these talented freshmen, um, a lot of the, the guys who made it to the title game in 2002 were gone. Uh, it, it, and it wasn't, you know, your previous year, you guys what went like 14 and 15. It was a tough, tough year. You got like destroyed by Kentucky. But starting this year, you have sort of a, a killer's row of top 10 ranked North Carolina, Connecticut, Kentucky. You lose those games, but they're very competitive. Yeah. What what were you learning in those tough, close losses? What was starting to be figured out by you individually and the team collectively that would lead to better basketball? Guys, do you do you realize that year we had the toughest schedule in the country? I know. <laughs> in the frigging country. And not that we had the toughest schedule in the country. Them games were on the road. I don't, I, you know what? I don't know who made that schedule, but that schedule was brutal. It was a Purdue grad. It, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, like, but what we learned, we knew we could compete at that level. We knew that we we had a lot of room for improvement, but we, we, we just kept getting better. Even though we were losing those games, but we, we knew we had what it, what it kind of took for us to be really good. And you got to remember, we were still young, too. Mm-hmm. You know, DJ and, and Vaden, they were freshmen. Totally. So, like, they just they just left high school. You know, think about it. I was already there two years, red-shirted. So I knew what we had, what we had coming in that we could be really good in 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 later on in the future. Once DJ, Vaden, um, James, and Ratliff and all those guys started getting some experience, we were gonna be pretty tough. Uh, it's funny, that season, and I'm glad Ward pointed it out, because, look, I don't know that this is true, but when I've looked back at that season, I do think a little bit that this is another example of Coach Davis's lack of experience. Because so many coaches, you know, they'll tell you recruiting is number one. Like, you got to recruit. Like, it's all about recruiting and getting the players. But the next thing they'll tell you is scheduling is so important that how you schedule, where are you getting your wins from? How are you setting up your tournament resume? Because you have no control over your conference schedule, obviously. Not only do you play three top 10 teams, the teams that you don't play that are top 10, you're playing Notre Dame, you're playing Western Illinois and Indiana State as your first two games. Those are not like 300 ranked teams. Those are solid games. You're playing Notre Dame, Missouri, Charlotte as your three three other non-conference games. These are all tough games, and I do wonder if it was Coach Davis just being like, we're Indiana, we're going to play the best, and didn't have the perspective to be like, wait a minute, we got young guys, I got DJ White, I got Vaden, we got to bring these guys along a little bit. And while it's great to learn about yourself, you guys finished 10 and 6 in the Big Ten, which if you finish 10 and 6 in the Big Ten today, you're getting a top five seed in the NCAA tournament, and that year you don't make the tournament because – you had all those top games that you lost. Could have scheduled cupcakes. You would have made the tournament easily. So, and your season is really interesting, Rod. Your first game of that year, you actually play 20 minutes. But you don't see those number of minutes until your 18th game. So, again, your minutes are up and down. You're learning how to be part of this team. Season ends disappointing, but you got better, no doubt. 10 and 6 in the Big Ten. And now you enter your redshirt junior year. And here comes Marco Killingsworth, 
and Lewis Monroe and Earl Calloway and Chem Dink and Ben Allen, one of the weirdest recruiting classes ever at Indiana. <laughs> I mean, you've got a guy from Australia. You're getting this guy, Chem Dink. You're getting Earl Calloway Junior College. You're getting one-year transfers and Marco and Lewis. You're bringing in five new players, uh, but good players in, in Marco who's been proven. What was your feeling about all those guys coming in now your junior year? You know what's so crazy? Me and Strick were talking about that the other day. That's crazy y'all bring that up. That recruiting class, we were like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> when Jim Dink and Ben, and, and you know, Jim, Ben Allen, that's my guy. I still talk to Ben to this day. And, uh, but that was just, a, that was a very weird recruiting class. Like it was, Weirdest. I can maybe understand the transfer in Marco, obviously. And and Louis Monroe, I, I I understood that one, but the, the I mean, and not knocking those guys' game. Well, this is Indiana. Yeah. I mean, really, that's like really the best we could have got that year. Right. <laughs> I just felt like I just felt like it was just Jim. Jim Dink just I mean, hey, it is what it is. He just didn't get it. I mean, he just didn't have no clue what he was walking into. Mm. You know, and but you know, I. You know that was a that was that was a very very weird recruiting class that year and and the crazy thing about it man with that team though going into my junior man we were freaking good though mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I this just this just my opinion we were a final four team that year if DJ doesn't get hurt Absolutely. Ward and I just talked about this in our intro DJ, before you. I'm telling you guys this I'm I'm just being completely honest with you we were. Davis, Coach Davis would have took us back to the national championship or final four that year with that team. We, we, we if DJ White didn't get hurt, didn't break his foot that year, we was going, we were going to make a deep run. We were really good. We were going to be hard to beat. Well, yeah. and, and you guys got up into the top ten, and especially yep. after such a disappointing season, the season before. I'm wondering, does the Indiana fan base, does the media? and how much you're aware of either of these things, DJ gets hurt, and then the wheels kind of come off. You guys lose, like, you know, something like six seven or seven, of eight. seven of eight. Yeah. And it's like, do you start to to feel an existential pressure for, for Coach Davis? Do you feel like, oh, my gosh, everybody's turning against us. They're getting impatient. Guys, that year was so weird from the get-go. From the recruiting class – so then we were like, we were ranked in the top 10. DJ was going, I mean, we were, we were frigging good. We, I mean, we were first in like all categories in the country for like a month. Like we were first in scoring because we were, we were so talented from the starting five and then the first couple guys. Cause that year I was up for six man of the year yeah. in the country. Cause I was coming off the bench. But my numbers were crazy good coming off the bench because I think it was between me and Rashad Lewis and one other guy for a six-man of the year that year. And it all – everything crumbled after Ohio State. When we played Ohio State at home and DJ got hurt, yep. that's when – because now what happened was it put more pressure on Marco to do, do more. Marco was succeeding so much because – Nobody in the country could guard Marco and D-Day at the same time. It was impossible. So now what was happening, Marco would get double teamed, 
DJ will be on the other side, double comes, dumb it off, DJ dumps it. Or now if you double team, we were so spaced out, we had nothing but good shooters. You could, you had to pick your poison against us. And if we was hitting the three and then DJ and Marco were going inside, we were we it was gonna be hard to beat us. It was gonna be extremely hard to beat us. And but when DJ got hurt, it kind of put us it, it kind of put us some of us. For me, my role was still the same. Yeah. If you watch my numbers, nothing really changed about what I was doing. And actually, my numbers probably got better yeah. because I was playing a lot more now when yeah. DJ got hurt. But for like Vaden, Marco, um, Strick, and a couple, you know, those three guys, I felt like the more pressure was put on them to do more when DJ got hurt, and it kind of got us off sync a little bit. So we have to talk about the game against Duke. Duke's number one in the country. They're coming to Bloomington. What was that game like? And then you gotta give us your perspective on the Marco dunk in that game. That game was so crazy. I mean, that's the lot to this day, I have people tell me all the time that we're at that game. That was the loudest assembly hall has ever been ever. Even with the Christian Walker shot. Wow. And guys, when Marco, I think somebody got the steal. I think it was Earl or somebody, and they threw it to Marco. And when Marco dunked that ball and we went up one, the floor at Assembly Hall was shaking. <laughs> That's how loud it was in there. I mean, it was the most – that, dude, I'm telling you, the, I get chills by just talking about that because I remember that moment. The floor was literally shaking. That's how loud it was in there. And the game was nuts. I mean, it was the atmosphere in that game. I think, was it a wideout too? Yes. I yes. think it was a wideout game as well. And I think it was just, oh man, it was, I mean, those people, that game, that for those tickets, there was people outside sleeping. Yeah. Two, two days before to get into that game. We, we have, because he was only there one year, and we haven't talked to a lot of your teammates that were on that team, we haven't talked to a lot of people about Marco. What was Marco like as a teammate? What kind of guy was he? Marco was a competitor, man. Yeah. He was a guy that didn't want to lose. He was a guy that uh, he played with a lot of people might take it like, you know, he's like not a good teammate or he doesn't, he just, but he was a competitor. He just didn't want to lose. And I respect a dude like that. Is it weird though, Rod, for, I mean, you talk so much and eloquently and, and emotionally, and we love it, about what it means to play for Indiana. When you come in as a guy who only has one year there, you're really not playing for Indiana. I mean, Coach Davis brought those guys in as mercenaries because he thought he needed like a little thing for this one year before the next wave came in. Is there any tension between guys like you who are there and get it and what Indiana means? Whereas Marco clearly was like, I'm going one year to play for Davis to help my NBA stock. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not blaming him. I get it. I mean, that, this is his livelihood that he's thinking about. But does that create any tension on the team? This is just my opinion. This is, you know, just my opinion. Indiana University, Indiana basketball is not – a JUCO recruiting school. Right. Um, I think I think a lot of um, fans kind of fawn upon junior college players because 
when you come in, when you come in as a transfer or a junior college player or whatever the case may be, you don't you don't understand yet. And it wasn't Marco's fault. He, I mean, he just didn't understand. Right. He's only there one year, and so he just didn't. I mean, it wasn't. He didn't understand the culture of what Indiana was yet. And I think by the time the end of the season, I thought I thought he started to get it. But just imagine Marco was there for at least two years. Right. Totally. Completely. He'd have been. He would have been the household name of Indiana because he would have. He would have dominated for the next year because he had started understanding what it meant to play for 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 Indiana. I will also say on the JUCO thing, just a real quick word to follow up on the JUCO thing. I think overall you're right. There have been some great exceptions. I mean, when we last won our national championship, Keith Smart and Dean Garrett were JUCO players. Mm-hmm. But they came – first of all, being there two years is different than being one year. So let's exactly. say that. But also, they came into a team that had really strong leadership with Steve Alford and Steve Isle and other guys. And I think it's important that if you're going to go the JUCO route or a guy like Marco, you better come in to a really established team and fit in. Marco came in and was just given the ball, basically. I mean, like you said, when DJ went out, so much was expected of him that, that it was a big, big load to shoulder for, for Marco and Lewis, truthfully, who never really got going at Indiana. Yeah. To your point, Rod, it did seem like not only did Marco, but the team started to, to finally get it together right at the end of the conference. You guys win four in a row. You do something absolutely freakish for an Indiana basketball team, except if they're coached by Mike Davis, which is win a game in the Big Ten tournament, beat Wisconsin. <laughs> really, things we're just not used to around here these days. And then you finally punch a ticket to the NCAA tournament. In the first round, you go out to Salt Lake and you guys play San Diego State. You take them down. What was it like to finally be in the big dance in March Madness? Um, it was it was it's experience that you know just every kid dreams to be a part of the whole shining moment um, song yeah. and everything. Um, you know that's what you play for. You play to get into the tournament. You play to get those to get that special moment for those couple of weeks or whatnot. And, um, you know, I think, guys, I honestly, you know, with that whole situation with Coach D and everything into the tournament, not getting to the tournament, you know, I felt like if, 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 if sometimes, like I said, Indiana fans are the greatest in the world. And, but, you know, I felt like sometimes they would just put so much pressure on Coach D that we felt it. Mm. And we're 17, 18 years old. And, you know, instead of just having us play and no, and just, you know, being there and just being there for us to the point where, you know, just support Coach D, let him do his thing and, and just be there. But, you know, when, we, when we're at 17, 18 years old and we're hearing about blackouts and, and Coach D, uh, people want Coach D to be out, be fired. And, you know, that puts a lot of stress on the team. Cause, I mean, we're hearing it. We're, we're, we're listening to the media. We're watch ESPN every day. And I think that put that also hurt us a lot with the stress that but so it was good for us to make the tournament. And it was it was it was a, a, a sign of relief in a way that you know for Coach D because I mean Coach D was a good dude. Fair and right. I mean I just felt like he just got an unfair shake of things being in Indiana sometimes and and 
do I feel like everybody always talks about, you know, it's a touchy subject. Was it a black thing, white thing, or blah, blah, blah. You know what? To the honest, to the honest truth, I don't think it was it had nothing to do with race. I really don't not I really think I to this day, I really think it had nothing to do with race. I think whoever took that job was gonna be scrutinized from the get-go. Yeah. It, it just because it's just it's just it was a high profile job coming from a legend that's been there for so many years. And and Indiana's was always used to one thing. And and you know, some people can't accept change and some people can't. And I think that was the biggest thing. So getting us back in the tournament was huge. And it kinda it kinda put us back to where you know we're used to. And then I think we ended up used, losing to Gonzaga. Yeah. Which they were really good that year with Adam right. Morgan and stuff like that. So But I do want to back up for a second, Rod, because that like Ward said, the wheels came off. You lose seven of eight in the conference, and that's when the pressure on Coach Davis is really at a fever pitch to the point where you guys play Iowa and Coach doesn't show up for the game. Now, I mean, that is truthfully, outside of like a real medical condition, you know, like Coach Williams has missed a couple games because he had vertigo and stuff, probably also because he was probably arranging, you know, students to take uh, tests for his players so that they could remain eligible. But other than that, um, you have to deal with this like unprecedented thing of a coach not coming to a game. What, what was, what was that like as a player when all of that is swirling specifically that Iowa game? Man, I, it was, it was tough. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was, like I said, it was something that we were going through as a team and we're trying to stay together. We're trying to, every time we're in the huddles, you know, we're playing for Mike Davis, we're playing for coach. Wow. You know, that's, that's tough. That's tough as a player when you feel like you're trying to save your coach's job. That's awesome. And now you're not thinking about just playing basketball. You're thinking about other things. You're like, you think, because coach D, he cared about us. And, you know, we grew up with him. We grew up, he, he made us to men like, so it, we were, we we didn't want our coach to lose his job. So we're, I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to fight for him. But that put so much, guys. I'm telling you, that put so much pressure on every shot you took. You felt it like shot by shot. You would feel like, damn it, if I if I missed this, could that mean that? Well, we, it, it not even about, it not even about if we missed the shot. It's more if we lose the game. Right, right. Where we have Coach D next tomorrow, God. or where we, you know, so. And and that game, the Iowa game, was when they were talking about being a, having a blackout, but me and a blackout where people yeah. that were church wanted—that's who they wanted um, wanted Coach D to be fired. But they wouldn't let nobody in the game that was wearing an all-black shirt. They they the AD kind of stopped that right there. And um, you know, I, I mean, do I know if Coach D was sick that day? I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he was sick of this emotion with a whole bunch of... I mean, he told us that, like, he just couldn't take it anymore. If you could have said something to the fans, the media, right when all that was going on, to make them oh. understand and be just a little more patient or understanding, what would it be? What don't we get about being in that locker room when things are going sideways? You know, I, I would just say, do you think we go out there wanting to lose. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I mean, the, this is not a, this is not D three or, you know, the, we, we understand the magnitude where we're at. 
Um, we work hard every day in practice. We play, we compete, we we try to do the right things that for us to win games. Um, I just felt like they just never gave Coach Davis a real chance to kind of the 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 biggest thing is when you're struggling. That's the biggest time when you need more support. It's just like with with your own family. If your family member's struggling, the worst thing that they they, they don't want to hear you be negative to them. Right. They're they're never going to get out of something. So, but if you're going through something and you're you got that person there for you, that's always going to look out for you, no matter what the situation is, you're going to eventually get out of that hole because you got the support system. Mm. And I really felt I think Coach D just felt like he didn't have the support anymore from the Indiana um, base anymore. And do I think he did? I don't think he did because if he did, none of that stuff would have came out. And we were good that year. And it, it was crazy. I think at that time before we lost the game, I think we were like second in the Big Ten or something. Yeah, well, you well, started 12-3 and three overall and 4-1 and one in the Big Ten that year. Exactly. I mean, you, you were starting great. And now the other side of this is the, you know, now it's, now it's out there that Coach Davis is, is gone and he's going to finish the year, but he's not going to be the coach. And then that coincides with the turnaround, which I would imagine is like, okay, at least there's a relief in knowing what's going to happen. You know, he probably opens up a little. And you guys start playing well. You start playing well. And, Rod, your game really comes together. You go double digits four of your last five games that year. Your first NCAA tournament game, you go for 11 points, six rebounds. Like, you have really become – we're really seeing the player that you can become. You average nine points and four rebounds coming off the bench, sometimes in really limited minutes. Your three-point shooting is coming together. Season ends – Coach Davis is gone. And you said before that you never considered transfer. Even during this coaching change, it never occurred to you? Well, even, I mean, that even made it even more, even made it more that mad. Even if I considered I was going to transfer, where was I going to go? I only have one year left. So, right. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I could, I couldn't transfer anywhere. And it was a little bit different back then. About, you had to sit out a year, right? I would have had to. Well, the problem was I, I would have to transfer either at that time, I'm not sure, either maybe D2 or maybe Division One. It's depending if they let me because of the coaching change. Right. Because I already registered the year. So Right, right, right. I, so I was in a really different situation when Coach D left because now I knew I wasn't going nowhere. So I embraced it. Whoever is going to take over the job. I mean, that, and then that, you know, that time, the whole job situation, I was, I felt like that was a mess. I mean, it, it was like, yeah. we didn't know who was going to be the coach. We, it was, it, it, that, that, that was a mess too. I mean, it, go, it go into that a little bit. Like, what, from your point of view, as a, you're going into your senior year and you're seeing this nationwide coach, coaching search play out in the media all around you, what was messy about it? I just felt like it wasn't it wasn't handled right. Uh, you know, if I look back at it to the point where, dude, you don't have, it, it doesn't need to be a secret. Everybody knows in the country, Indiana job is open. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's like this is a small school. Everybody knows, okay, Mike Davis just left, and now Indiana's looking for a job. So why are you keeping this such a secret? Like, they're just being so secret about who they were interviewing and blah, blah, blah. 
Like the great guys, I will tell you this. Coach Samson, when we heard his – we didn't even know he was even in the mix. Right. It was <laughs> a real was shock. Even crazier. But we heard, we're like, who? Coach Samson? <laughs> like, because when people we were hearing, Steve Alford, um, they, there's, I think maybe I could get my um, years mixed up. Maybe the Wichita coach at the time. Right back then. Yeah, it? I think so. Maybe that might have been during Crane's time. But I know for sure Steve Alford. Um, there was a couple other guys that we were hearing and blah, blah, blah. I, honestly, I really thought it was going to be Alford. That's okay. what I thought it was going to be. I, I mean, it kind of made sense. And you can say, okay, Steve Alford, Indiana guy, come in, blah, 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 whatever. Cool. But then it, like, literally did a 360 within, like, two days. And we all get a text message from, um, I forgot who, it was some a news reporter saying, all the seniors, like myself, saying, what do you think about your new coach? And I, and I text back, I remember like it was yesterday, who's our new coach? Because I didn't even know. <laughs> coach Samson from Oklahoma. I was like, oh, really? So then when that broke, like a couple hours later is when they bring us all to the locker room the AD and everybody was there saying this is going to be our your new head coach. Coach Samson arrives tomorrow for a press conference. We'd like you to like you guys to be there if you wanted. And they did it. They did it in Assembly Hall on the court, and all the guys were there because there were some guys that didn't want to go. Wow. I, I don't think I don't think Baden went. Baden yeah. did not. Baden didn't go. I think at the time, I think DJ might have went, but I know for sure. Vaden was Coach D's right-hand man. I knew when Coach D left, Vaden wasn't coming back. And he ended up obviously going to UAB with Coach Davis. But, yeah, so so Samson comes in, Coach Samson comes in, and then, you know. What was your first impression of Kelvin when you met him? Coach, that's my dude. Really? Coach, um, I, Coach Coach Samson, that is my guy. So tell us why. Why is that? What's it, what is it about him? Man, he is just – he is a player's coach, hard-nosed, but is a player's dream. I mean, he just – man, he gets the best out of you, man. And what I, what I love the most about Coach, coach um, Samson was he held, he held DJ, DJ – accountable to everything he did our best player hmm. and that kind of changed the whole guys this is just me saying what i what i feel and being and being involved in all that coach samson was changing that indiana he was going to change that program that well, I, do i believe i believe coach samson was still there indiana would have probably won one national championship already yeah, it's funny, Rod, Ward and I talked, I had this exact conversation. And it's interesting that you talk about holding the best player accountable because it did seem like, look, I know he brought in four new guys that year, but truthfully, Lance played a lot. Lance Stemler played a lot that year. Armand was coming on, but wasn't the go-to guy at this point. Mike White was a role player. Xavier Keeling didn't really play. The team was largely the same exact team as the year before, with the exception of losing Vaden. I mean, losing a big piece. But it, and Marco. And Marco. But the team was, I mean, 
it was a lot of the same players he was counting on that we counted on the year before, like you, like Earl Calloway, you know, I mean, there was a lot of, and DJ White, obviously. But almost immediately watching the team, it felt different. The team felt like it had a totally different identity almost from the beginning. I mean, you can look at your game against Duke at Duke. The score is 54 to 51 at Duke. You only lose by three. You guys went from a team that I'm not sure exactly what the identity was, but now you were a grinded out defensive, get in your face team. How did he do it that quickly, Rod? I'm just going to be completely honest with you. It was the players. Okay. It was the identity of Coach Sampson, but it was it was an upper class of me, Earl, and DJ. Because that year, everybody to this day all think we overachieved what right. we did that year. If you look back on paper, we weren't supposed to be that good. No, not at you know, all. If you look, look, that would have been a year everybody would have been like, okay, we see why they went what they went. We went undefeated at home. We didn't lose a game. We beat Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin came in number one in the in the country that year. Oh, no, no, no. Somebody came in number one that year. I forgot who it was. Or number two or number three or something like that. And we beat them. Maybe that was my junior year. But we we were very – we were identity to Coach Sampson. He was a hard-nosed. We defended – Oh, you're right. It was Wisconsin. They came in. And you beat them 71-66. According to this, they were ranked number two at the time, but, no, but that could have been a different poll. But yeah, you beat the number two team in the country at home. By the way, a team, in, like Ward said, we never beat Wisconsin for, you know, they were killing us. Since you left. <laughs> but yeah, but you're right. I mean, you guys changed the, the culture of everything in one year's time. Let's get into it because I think we are so quick to assign the majority of the blame or the credit to the coach for what the players are doing on the court. But then you do hear from both coaches and players, well, look, the players got to go do it. So what changed for you, say, mentally from, oh, we got to try to save Coach Davis's job was sort of the feeling last year to this year? Yeah, I would be completely honest. It was the first year at Indiana that I felt it was just about basketball. Mm. Nothing else. It was just straight basketball. There was no distractions from the outside. It was just all about what this team was going to do. And we, 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 we played. We just played. And it wasn't – you weren't hearing, oh, coach is going to get fired or this is going to happen or blah, blah, blah. It was none of that. It was just us coming together as a team, buying into what Coach Sampson was, um, believes in, and we and we and all we wanted to do was win. We did anything it took to win. But I also believe we had guys on our team that that reason why we might have overachieved. But you got to see what that team. We had guys that never were given opportunities until now, mm. like Earl. Now you know from my junior going into my senior. Now I'm doing I'm doing. So we had a lot of dudes that had chips on their shoulders. So. We, we, we use that to our motivation. And DJ, Coach Sampson challenged DJ. Hmm. He challenged him. He said, DJ, you're not going to be a first-round draft pick until you become a better rebounder. Wow. If you don't become a better rebounder, you're not going to be drafted. 
you're going to be a second round dude. That's exactly what he told DJ. And DJ bought into what Coach Samson believed in. And Coach Samson got DJ drafted first round. And, you know, DJ became a much better rebounder mm-hmm. in the two years he played for Samson for whatever amount of thing he did. And, um, but Coach Samson, man, he was just a, him and Coach Davis were just different, two different coaches, but were two good coaches. And I think the one thing that helped Coach Samson, Coach Samson already had a lot of experience. Right. He's already been to the tournament. He's already been to, so he knew the process to get to the tournament, if that made sense. He knew what it took. He knew what he needed to do. He knew how many, he just, he knew how many games we needed to win. He knew where we should be at, at this time of the year. He just had the experience already. By the way, to your point, Rod, in the three years that DJ played before Coach Sampson, he averaged about six rebounds a game. His last year, he averaged 10.3 rebounds a game. I mean, but by the way, there's another guy who's also popping off that year, and that's Rod Wilma. I mean, your first couple of years, you were role players, spotty minutes, didn't average many points a game. Second, third year, you scored nine points a game. You're over 12 and a half points a game. You're almost at six rebounds a game as a guard, which is just unheard of. And you are putting in huge games. You go to at Penn State, which is never easy to win on the road in the Big Ten. 25 points, 12 rebounds, seven three-pointers. You win at UConn that year. 23 points for you, five of eight. You guys are 14 and four at that point. You're ranked now. You go to at Iowa, 24 points. But we got to talk about the game at Northwestern where you set the record for most made threes. I know you talked a little bit before about you put the work in, but there is a difference between making four and five threes in a game and making nine. What did that game feel like to you? Man, that was that was a... Uh... It was a moment I would never forget. I was just in one of those. I had, when I scored uh, 79 points in high school, I had literally that same Did you say 79 points in a game? Yeah, in high school. (laughs) (laughs) How many threes did you hit? Uh, I hit like 13. I mean, it's (laughs) And, but I had that same feeling I had in the Northwestern game exact same feeling I literally like it just everything was just clicking I felt like I knew it was going to be a special night when I banked in the shot I, I banked it in at half court at halftime I, I banked it in I said oh yeah it's going to be I, I, I <laughs> and 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 Northwestern was sitting in that zone too so yeah. I was like oh this is going to be this is going to be a great night this is going to be a great night and you know it was just a special night man my teammates were looking for me and and, you know, I, I, I just went bananas that game. And by the way, you didn't just go, but oftentimes when a guy goes off on threes, you look at their stat line and that's really all they do. Not you. 31 points that game, 12 rebounds, two assists, two steals. And then you follow it up the next game with 21 and 11 against Penn State. You finish the Big Ten, 10 and six, which again, these days, I mean, you're a top five seed in the NCAA tournament, and you're probably competing for the Big Ten Championship. You go, you now make the NCAA tournament again, and you're playing Gonzaga, the team that beat you year before, and you go off again and have an incredible game. Six of 11 threes in the NCAA tournament, 
22 points, seven rebounds, three assists. What was it like to perform on the biggest stage possible at that level, Rod? Uh, it, you know, it was just, it was just, I knew it was my last go around too. And, you know, I just left everything on the floor. Like I know I always do. And, you know, it was just, it, I wanted to leave Indiana where everybody remember, man, that team was good. That team, with all they've been through through the years, you know, that team got it together and 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 said, "This is what Indiana basketball is about." And you know, I could only do my part, and I felt like that's what I did at Indiana. I did my part for the fans, for my teammates, and tried to establish this is what Indiana basketball is about, and. We're about getting to the tournament. We're about representing the school with pride. And when you walk around, you know, this is what this is Hoosier Nation. And, you know, that's 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 that was my only thinking, man, just to leave 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 Indiana on a good note. How do you feel now when you think about IU? You mentioned you wanted to get charity up there for a game, and I'm sure you will when the world returns to normal. What does it mean to you right now? to be an Indiana Hoosier? Indiana always have a big place in my heart, no matter, you know, forever. Um, I just I just wanted to get back to where, where it should be. And that's guys competing and knowing what it takes to win and, and not, and we all been there. We all been there. We'll lose games against teams that we shouldn't lose to. It happens, whatever, but it, I just, it shouldn't be like, I just feel like you should, if anything, you should at least lose maybe one game, the most two games in the semi hall. Hmm. Like, it's just, I just don't, it's just hard to, it's just hard to lose there. And that just means you're just literally not giving no effort at all if you're losing in a semi hall. Like, it's just the, it, they, the fans will you to win there. Like, it's, it's just so nuts. And, I just wanted to get back to a place where I turn the TV on and I might be like, such and such, Manny's playing hard. Manny's competing out there. And if we can get back to that. I think we're on the right track right now. I think we got some guys in. I love – I'm a huge fan of the big kid. Trace. Uh, Trace. Trace. I think he's, yeah, he's going to be really, really special. Uh, and I'm happy he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what he reminds me of? A lot. He reminds me a lot about. He reminds me a lot of Jared Jeffrey. Oh, interesting. They kind of, they kind of, and they kind of run a lot. They kind of run the same too. Yeah, very upright. Very yeah, upright. Yeah, they're very upright, and he he reminds me a lot of Jared in a way. Um, when I watch him play, but I think, I think that was huge getting him back. Um, I think he had an unbelievable freshman year. He actually had a better freshman year than I thought he would have. Yeah, because he had coming out coming out of high school. Cause I saw him a lot because um, recruiting at the college level. So I saw, I knew who, to, who I saw him in a lot of AAU tournaments and his knock was he's like soft, but he didn't play like that. No, he's not soft. That kid is tough. I, I was also surprised because his game is fairly limited. Like he only has a left hand. He can't use his right and he doesn't have a jump shot. So I was like, man, he's going to get eaten alive in the big 10, but he didn't, man. He just, he competed like hell. He competed, and that was the thing. He played hard. Yeah. He played hard. He he took the challenge. 
as a freshman to come in there and, and do his thing. And um, I, I think it's going to get back to where it needs to be. I think this is, you know, God willing that, you know, we do play this year, but I think this is, this is a huge year for Indiana. I think Indiana is going to be very, very good. And I think, I think Archie just needs to get them to get to the level where they're competing every day on the defensive end. We know that's such a priority for him and he's such a fired up ornery, hard nosed guy as a player and seemingly as a coach. So circling back to the idea of it's like, well, the players got to do it. The coach can only say so much and motivate so much. Do you think there's something to the theory that a guy like Archie really does need a roster full of his type of guys? I, you know what? I don't really agree with that because I feel like, look what we did our first, my senior year. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's all about the coach because if you can get your, I, I always tell, tell other coaches this and just being around the game, it's all about buying. If you can get your team, it if you give me six, seven different players I've never coached before, but they believe in me, believe in what I'm teaching and believe in buying, you're going to be successful. It's, I, I hate. I think that's just a cop-out. Oh, coaches need three years to get their players in. That's just like a, that's just saying, no, we need to give an excuse why we're not good. <laughs> that's all that. That's, that's all it is. Amen. We give an excuse why we're not good. Because Coach Sampson comes into Indiana with the same team that we had the year before, and we lose Marco and Vader. Yeah. Two starters. And we had the year that we had. Because you know why? We bought in to what Coach Sampson was teaching. We weren't fighting him. And I think I think now, I think where Archie, I think he, he's getting his guys in. But it shouldn't always be about, you know, wait for my guys to come in. Get the, get the cream guys out. No. You know, if you're a good coach, it don't matter who you coach. I mean, those guys that are there in Indiana, they're talented still, or they wouldn't be at Indiana. Right. And so you, I think it comes down to coaching where if you can get guys, I always, I always say it doesn't matter what offense you run. It doesn't, I mean, Indiana can run the flex offense. If they're winning and buying the team's buying, greatest coach ever. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's not I'm with you. But you're running. It's not about X's and O's. Coaching at this level comes to if your team is bought in and they believe in you and play hard for you. That's all it is. Well, I love that. And I want to, before we leave your playing career, because I know it is not a happy memory and it definitely isn't for me because I was at this game and almost died, but that's a different story. I was at the UCLA game that ended that year, which I maintain is the ugliest college basketball game I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> the score at halftime of that game was 20 to 13. Yes. Okay. We had 13. <laughs> but here's why I want to focus on it. Because, first of all, UCLA was an awesome team that year that went to the Final Four. Okay? Yep. That game showed the identity of what a Kelvin Sampson team was going to be. We couldn't hit water if we fell out of a boat that game. But we were not going to let UCLA score. And we've talked a lot about your shooting, Rod. But equally impressive – and, and just unbelievable to watch was your defense as a player. What was it about defense that got you excited, that made you dig in to prevent a guy from getting by you 
And do you remember that UCLA game being as ugly and as much of a dogfight as I remember it? It was, it was, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Standpoint. I, we, we, both teams, probably both coaches were probably talking to each other, to all their assistants, like, are uh, both of uh, are we both this good at defense or can we just not score? <laughs> but I mean, but if you watch that game, we were defending. Oh yeah. We were defending at a high, high level. We just couldn't score. Like we couldn't really, I mean, if we even did ha- half of what we normally do, we win that game. Easily. We win that game. And and it, it but I'm telling you, that's how we practice. We were bought into what Samson was teaching us. We really were. We were bought in, and it also helped that we were seniors, and if we weren't bought in, that we probably weren't going to play. Right. So <laughs> that helped us <laughs> so, a lot. But talk to us about defense in you, because what, did, what went through your head when you're backpedaling after a change in possession and your guy gets the ball? What are you seeing and thinking to shut his ass down the way that you did so often in Indiana? I just, I like I said, I, I, I played with a lot of effort. Um, you know, defense defense is all effort. You, and obviously, like you guys said, I probably was one of the best guard rebounds to come, to come through Indiana in a long time. Rebounding is all effort. It's both. So you got two things that just comes with effort. If you can do, and, if, and that's what, what defense is, I was just a guy that I took the challenge in guarding the best player. Mm-hmm. I took the challenge of guarding whoever need I needed to to help us win. I took the challenge again on the ball for a loose ball. You didn't have to tell me to get on the floor for a 50-50 ball. I was going to go get it. You know, I was going to go get a rebound. You know, I'm not going to rely on DJ, our bigs, to always get every rebound. I'm going to go there and dig in. We used to fight over rebounds. Because I, I was always trying to go in and go get one. Yeah. Um, but that is all effort. And, you know, I just played with – I just I just didn't like like to lose. And I just knew if I played harder than my opponent, we'd have a better chance of winning. Now, before we get out of Bloomington, as your time draws to a close, we we love to ask our guests about some of their favorite things and maybe a least favorite thing what was your favorite place to go get a bite to eat in Bloomington? Where would you like to, to go first for a meal when you take charity back there? Oh, I got to take it to, uh, there's a couple places. That's fine. Uh, definitely going to take her to Kilroy's. Sure. sure. <laughs> One, she don't know nothing about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, one of my, I know the owner very well, unless he's still there. Um, Malibu Grill. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's for the classy date. Yeah, that's so that's like a, I take her down like on a Saturday night or something. <laughs> but like those two restaurants will probably be the ones that I would uh definitely, you know, that especially Kiroy's this has yeah. a oh and um oh man, what's what's the one on um has all the IU mil, IU stuff in Nick's Nick. Yeah. Got to take it in the mix. That'd be uh, a spot for like. Now, what about favorite pizza? Oh, Pizza King. Oh, nice. I don't even know Pizza King. Oh, yeah. Indiana pizza Classic. King, hey. Oh, wait. Pizza is that King. the place we went, Ward? Late at night? Yeah. The little place? They had, the, they had the best 
the best bread. Mm. Really? They had the best um, the breast, uh, breadsticks. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love the bread. All right, favorite. Uh, so I guess your favorite bar would be Kilroy's. Yeah, Kilroy's. Okay. Bye. Least favorite class you took at Indiana. <laughs> is is it hard to remember any of the classes you took oh, in India? Least favorite class, man. I had one class in the business school, and they said that was the easiest class. <laughs> Statistics was I was Ooh. man. Come on, man. I was so struggling in that class. I don't even know why I had to even take that for my major, but yeah, statistics was awful. It was the worst experience ever. Now, uh, your career at Indiana ends, but your basketball career, honestly, is just getting started. I read something that you had been talking to various teams, and the New York Knicks had told you that if you were available at a certain point in the second round that they were going to draft you. Isaiah Thomas was running the Knicks at that time. Now, mm -hmm. I want to go back. Did you meet Isaiah Thomas while at Indiana? Yeah. Isaiah was there on my visit. Oh. My parents sat right next to him. I mean, what was that like? That was crazy. Like, I mean, I kind of simplified the whole me going to Indiana. Too. <laughs> I don't know if that was legal, but <laughs> right next to him, my my mom and dad and all of them had have they still have the picture and everything at the house with Isaiah at that game, like in a frame. Oh, that's awesome. And um, so yeah, we sat right next to Isaiah Thomas during that game when I was there. So I think through I think if I'm mistaken, he was with Indiana with the Pacers at that time. Oh, he might that have sounds been. about right. Yeah, time. I think yeah. that's the right time. Yeah, yeah. I think he was with the Pacers at that time. So then walk us through draft night. I mean, you what 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 is that like? How stressful is it? And then when New York doesn't pick you, is it devastating? Like what what's going through your head? Well, my whole my whole after I left Indiana and then the whole getting ready to be a pro and, and everything. Um I had a very, very, very good workout with, with New York. Um, um, and I was in there with, I don't know if you guys remember, Demetrius Nicholson that was at Syracuse. I don't. I don't shooter. So I was in a workout with him and two other guys. And I, I mean, I absolutely just, I, I, I had one of those great shooting moments yes. in there. Like all my, everything just clicked at that workout. And New York was like, whoa. I mean, obviously Isaiah knew a little bit about me already anyway. Sure. So, but um, I think I kind of opened some eyes. And it kind of like, it was kind of funny because it was a lot of Indiana guys in in, in New York at that time. Because mm -hmm. you had Jerry Jeffries, mm -hmm. you had Zeke, uh, you had uh, Jim Thomas was a scout. Oh, nice. At the time with New York. Was Mike but, Woodson there? Mike Woodson was not there. Okay. Yeah. Was Glenn Grunwald there? Yeah. Yeah, so no. Glenn was there. Oh, there they, obviously, there was a little bit of Indiana ties there. Yeah. Obviously. And so they, they did call me on draft night, said, my agent called me and said, hey, there's a possibility New York's going to pick him up in the second round. And I was like, oh, well, this is great. <laughs> so, but they end up taking Demetrius Nicholson from Syracuse, which I can kind of get it close to New York, and he was a hot name at the time, whatever. But New York called me that same night and then invited me to um, camp, veteran camp and and everything. So I ended up locking on with them for a little bit or whatnot. 
what would you say when you think back on your professional career, which took a lot of different turns, you played internationally. I don't want to go through every single stop, but if you can, what is your favorite memory of your playing days professionally? Is there one team or one moment that you really, really think fondly back on? Um, with NBA stuff, I would say that I had a good time with New York. I had a good time with Milwaukee because Coach Sampson was at Milwaukee. Mm. Um, so I got a chance to reconnect with him a little bit there. Um, end up doing having a little stint with uh, with the Pistons a little bit when I was with the Mad Ants, the D League team mm-hmm. in Fort Wayne. Um, so, but I, you know what? Do I look back and feel like my pro career wasn't as what I really wanted? I, I'd probably say yeah, just because it was just so up and down. It was just like I didn't really stick anywhere for a very long time. It's like I was just moving around. Like, how tough is that for you emotionally, Rod? Is that is that a struggle just to not be settled anywhere? You know what that that was that was my biggest thing. Reason why you know I played a, I, I played for a while, but that was one of my reasons why I kind of retired from playing because I was just I was emotionally drained with all the with just all the moving and all the not knowing where I'm going to be at the next year. Cause especially when you're in Europe, I mean, you're switching countries every year. Yeah. And you know, that kind of, that just, that just drains you a lot. And especially for me, the way I play and, you know, I was just, I was, I'm, I'm, I was burnt out. Mm -hmm. I really was mentally. I was burnt out. Now it's more of a business now. And, you know, I, I honestly believe, man, God's definitely blessed me in coaching. I have been so successful in coaching and I give that all to him. And, but I think all my, all my times and past stuff that I went through in Indiana into my pro year career has really helped me become a very, very good coach. And it's not even about X's and O's and I'm really good at X's and O's, but it's more to the point of my passion for the game. The buy-in again. yeah, so I recruit those type of players, and so that's that's that that's one thing. So I, you know, do I wish I played in the NBA nine years or something? Yeah, of course. Of course. I played the game. Oh, yeah, I, me too. I, well, of course. <laughs> but I think everything happens for a reason, and I believe God has a has something very, very much in store. You never know. I might one day. 10 years, 20 years from now, my coach at Indiana. You never know what's going to happen. When you were talking about what it means to play for Indiana and play for the fans and play for the team, I was smiling and just thinking, my God, we got to get you in front of the team. Like, you just got to, like, they don't have, I mean, Mike Roberts, boss is there, so he can do it a little bit. But it's never enough. They need to hear more about what Indiana was you know, and you were connected to so much of it that uh, I love listening to it. But before we let Wait, you go. I, I have a follow-up on that. Oh, okay, sure. Because let's let's say, you know, what what's a greater dream job as a coach, as a former IU player, if that's something 10, 20 years down the line you can envision for yourself, how do you go about approaching your day-to-day work 
as a coach where you are now and also sort of strategizing like where it might go, where it might lead. Can you even afford to think ahead or is it just about being consumed with right where you're at and hoping that strategy will take care of itself through your, your presence and effort? The way I approach my coaching career right now is I'm a grinder, just like I was a player. I mean, my first coaching job was at Manchester University. Yep. And I did that whole year for free. Whoa. Really? And I used to drive hour and 15 minutes every single day from, Manchester, from Fort Wayne to Manchester every day for free. And, but that got me in the door. And so just like my playing career, I'm a grind dude. It's just like me in high school. I, I put myself, say, I'm going to play at that level. People might think it's an absurd dream to have and say, that's probably never going to happen that I ever would coach at Indiana as a head coach. But for me, I think it can happen. Hmm. How can it not happen? Nobody thought I was going to play Indiana when I did as a player. Nobody thought I was going to do this or I was going to do that. Do I, I tell my players all the time. And I recruit kids all the time. I said, if you can't picture yourself being on TV and playing, then you'll never be there. If you can picture yourself playing somewhere, then you know what? You have an opportunity to be there. Now you got to work to get that opportunity. Right. Do I see I, – I, I, I've, I've talked to this, to this with Charity. Do I see myself – I see her as a, as, as a, as a wife to me – at a high level coaching. Like I vision that, I see that with our kids and growing up in the gym and I see that. So if you don't have that vision, then you're never gonna reach that opportunity, anything in life. Nobody becomes a billionaire just overnight. They have a vision to become a billionaire and they put that vision, is there gonna be bumps and bumps in the road to get to that? Yeah, probably, of course but you only learn from those situations and move on to the point where now when you get there, you know how you got there. And I get to my, my destination that I know where I want to be. I know I worked for it. It wasn't given to me. I remember exactly how I got there. I'm going to look back like, damn, I worked at Manchester. My first college gig, I did that for free. And I'm telling you when I did for free, I worked as it wasn't no volunteer work. I was working like a real assistant. Right. For Every free. single day, working guys out, film, doing all those different things that I was doing. So now when I get my own staff, those are the type of dudes I'm going to get. Yeah. I know they're going to work hard and we're going to win together. Now, you, you did mention that you envision Charity being your wife at, at some point. Do you, I mean, she's listening in. Do you want to do the first ever Who's Your Hysterics podcast proposal right now? I mean, is that something, <laughs> do you want to just go ahead and get that done and, and really uh, make it a special podcast appearance? Hey, well, y'all don't know Charity very, at all. <laughs> Charity is very blunt. She would say no if she really <laughs> We see, right, we I see do. her mic gets unmuted and she's like, don't, there, <laughs> she, there is. she is. <laughs> oh, gosh. Charity, I have a feeling this is not how you want the proposal to go down if it were to go down. No, we can wait. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charity. Uh, before we let you go, Rod, I want to ask this question because you mentioned it a couple times. You lived with AJ Moye for two years. 
We've talked to AJ several times. He is a good friend of the show, good friend to Ward and I. We love him. We love his family. But we all know AJ is a bit off. You gotta <laughs> give us one story. You gotta give us one AJ Moye being off, being a little different story from your two years of living with him. Man, well, we're on air and this is gonna be broadcast, so I gotta give a story that's appropriate. That's no, you don't. No, you I don't. Mean, no, you they, don't. They, they've heard they've heard some things not suitable for young children on this show. Yeah. Oh gosh, man. What comes to mind, but it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> just say it. Just do oh, it. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Man, is this, I mean, everybody gonna be hearing this though? AJ's no, in a no, good no. spot it's, in his life. It's really Don't worry just about it. Eric's parents and my parents that listen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you gotta hit us with it. Man, AJ, AJ's just a funny dude, man. The guy, he's just different. Yeah. He's just a different dude. Like it'd be one year the dude would be Christian, and then the next year he's Jewish, and then the next year he's Watch the fire, you know? <laughs> like, pick one, bro. Like, what are doing? Like, I just, like, he's just, AJ has always been a good friend of mine. He, he took me under his wing when I was a, when I was a young Thundercat coming in Indiana. <laughs> and, uh, we just had a lot of good memories together, man. The guy is just a different guy, and he, he's just, he's just, he's just different. He's just definitely different. And you guys know him. Yeah, yeah, we do. Well, uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. I mean, shalom to AJ and his family. Um, Rod, I just want to say, you know, like I said at the beginning, I've been really excited to talk to you. Ward and I have talked about it for a while. Uh, the way you played the game is how we dream of every Indiana Hoosier playing the game. You left your heart on the center court at Assembly Hall, and you will always be remembered for that. I just have these flashes in my head of you rising up for a jumper, but at the same time, you sitting down in a defensive stance and shutting down a guy and then showing your emotion on the court, which to me as a fan is something I love because it lets me know you care much, as much, if not more, about playing for Indiana as I care about watching you play for Indiana. And uh, you always have a special place in the hearts of Hoosier fans. Can't thank you enough for for what you did as a Hoosier and for taking the time to walk us through it all. It's not an easy thing to just sit down and talk about your life for a few hours and and we really appreciate it. We're rooting for you and I can envision you coaching wherever you want to coach because you are a grinder and you will grind till you get it. So we're supporting you and rooting for you, man. I I really appreciate you guys um asking me to do this and you know whatever I can do to help our program get back to where it needs to be and and hopefully some of the guys they would listen to this and 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 understand everything i said today was from the heart literally from the heart there was nothing that i was trying to be oh just because i'm on this, the radio or whatever i'm a sugar club. no i'm just i'm i'm real as it comes and i just feel like you know a lot of players that are going through the same stuff that I went through going to Indiana. Got to understand what 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 they're playing for there, and once they figure it out, that's when the program's going to turn around and get back to where it needs to be. I look forward to when you finally get charity back to Bloomington. Eric and I will meet you guys there, and we'll figure out a way to get these young bucks in front of you because I think 
that passion you have is contagious. I, I, I picked up on it today and to have you swirling around Bloomington for a visit. Uh, I think it, it, it was something that we all want to see. I, I, I do. I would say one of my dreams is one day to start at Indiana as an assistant and never know what happens after you become assistant there. But I, that's one of my dreams is to be assistant at Indiana. And I, and I know, and especially when you recruit kids from out of state, I can give them that life of experience, what it is to be a kid coming from the state of Florida to a whole new environment to Indiana, what it's about. And 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 me and recruiting a kid, I, I would let a kid know from the jump before I'm recruiting. If you if you can't buy into this, then I don't care how talented you are, you won't survive here. And now if you can put that talent that you have, because you're gifted, everybody in the country is recruiting you. But if you can put that talent and play with that passion and play with heart, you're gonna be very successful in Indiana. And I think that's what we gotta get back to finding those type of guys. We're with you. Amen. Oh, real quick, when Kentucky recruited you, did they offer you a car or money? <laughs> no, they didn't. Actually, Hubby Smith was coaching at the time. Oh, yeah, he's too classy for that. He's too classy for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rod, thank you so much. Charity, thank you for uh, listening in on this. Uh, when, when the day does come that the proposal happens, we want to know about it. We'll announce it on our air. So you got to let us know when that happens. <laughs> Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Rod, you be good. Take care. Stay safe, both of you. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Awesome, dude. Awesome, dude. I love him putting it out there, you know, that it's his dream to be the head coach at IU. There's no way you end up doing that without putting it out there. And I love the idea, you know, as we are, who knows when we get to air, if we found a new assistant coach or not, but the idea of somebody, and, and I think we all kind of know the score for this assistant coaching search, right? It's, uh, it's probably not going to be an Indiana player. It's probably going to be somebody who's really respected as a recruiter, probably from the East coast or from West of the Mississippi is what it's looking like, but looking at the long term, the idea of an assistant coach being someone who understands IU but was an outsider coming in is really interesting to me because clearly we're getting the in-state talent and I think what we're all looking for on the recruiting front is bringing in some studs from out of state especially in years where Indiana is down on in-state talent so to have that perspective of like yeah I grew up not knowing anything about it either you know I was here or I was there but then I got here and then I understood and this is why you should leave your family and your friends to the greatest place in the world to set yourself up for the best life humanly possible by being an Indiana University basketball player. I think that's well said. I couldn't say it any better. It's, it's beautiful and it's beautiful to listen to him. I love hearing him talk about how much he loves Indiana. Yeah, and, you could and feel you it. Hear, you could feel the pain in, in his perception of watching guys that don't give it their all. Now, I want to bring this up with you because you have a contention when people say, oh, the guys weren't playing with effort. But I have a contention when fans do it that don't play at that level. Got it, okay. Because what do I know? Right. Right? I played high school basketball. I mean, we play rec league basketball. He played there. 
you know, look, I'll just say that Dan Dockage talks about it all the time. Mm -hmm. He played. So a guy that played, I have no way of comparing my experience to that. So if they say it, you got to take it at face value. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do. I, I more when fans go nuts about it because I just don't know. But but you could feel more to the point, though. I just love feeling that it bothers him that he feels that way, whether or not it's accurate. It bothers him. That he feels that way and it bothers him. And that speaks to how much as an outsider he came in and fell in love with Indiana. Yeah, that it's special. And I mean, he said, I played for family, God and in Indiana. Yeah, I got a, I got goosebumpy on that one. I mean, good God. I mean, I think most people would want him to put Indiana first. But <laughs> as long as we're in the top three, uh, keeping that kind of company, I think it's, you know, it just goes to show the type of players, you know, even Coach Davis was getting and and that Coach Sampson was was connecting with. And that we loved that stuff from Samson on him. I think we've come a long way from from calling him, you know, Satan, the the arsonist. Now, still, I still believe in all that, but there's no questioning how good of a coach he was. And look, what I loved about what Rod told us is he just distilled it down. It was like, yes, he had an identity; he was going to make us grind it out. But he came in in year one and held the best player accountable. Yeah, that's how he got it done. And if any player wasn't buying in, well, there's the bench. Yes, as a senior. I mean, he said it as a senior. I knew if I wasn't, I was going to be benched. And the entire identity of the team changed in one year, which is you and I had this conversation off podcast. It's why I've never bought the It Takes Three Years. I just don't buy it. Or four years. It. I know it has taken that long for other people, but... Our team, look, there's, there's two things happening. One is the wins and losses, which haven't, we, we don't have. The other is just the eye test. Do they seem different? And I haven't seen it as much as I wanted to. And I don't think that takes four years. Well, I, you go back to how adamant he was that Indiana should rarely, if ever, lose in Assembly Hall. And he goes, yeah. those fans won't let you lose. And you and I were there for the Purdue game when Coach Knight came back. And despite, you know, there's Rod coming in a year after a national title run, okay? And he's still surrounded by some of those players. And they, they were a top 10 team while Rod was there. Even, you know, with having two different coaches cycle through in his time. And I'm going to presume it's a little bit harder for coaches now to have the complete focus of their players when all of them have the internet in their pocket 24 seven. But I do think there is, whether it's pride, determination, a combination thereof, that these players need to have, particularly in assembly hall, like nobody wins here. I don't care what our record is. I don't care what their record is. I don't care if the greatest college basketball coach of all time is coming out at halftime. We're going to beat you bastards on our home court. And, and, and it's a, a will, a will. And that we, the fans, I don't think you can knock us. It's not like we're, we're sitting on our hands during these games. It's these players need to look in the mirror and look at each other and be like, no, nobody comes into our house and wins. 
I totally agree. I think the players need to look themselves in the mirror. And I think the coaches need to look themselves in the mirror and go, whatever we are doing doesn't work or hasn't worked to the level that it needs to. That, that Purdue game, and we talked about it back then, the, the performance in that game was inexcusable. You know what the problem was and why we're in good shape now? That was Bruiser's fault. All that was Bruiser's fault. <laughs> he gone. He gone. He gone. Yeah, look, I have a whole thing on I, that maybe we should do on an intro of a different podcast on the assistant thing. But, but it could all be over by the time even this airs. So you want me to do it now? Yeah, what do you got all to right. say? You know I love Bruiser. Love him. Bru, he's our guy. And I, I wish he would still be the assistant coach at Indiana. I love him. Yeah. But if your standard for what Bruiser is supposed to be and what you're hoping for this other assistant coach is landing big out-of-state talent, Bruiser didn't do it. Right. Okay. But Archie had no intention of getting rid of Bruiser. Bruiser was going to be an assistant coach here for as long as he wanted to be an assistant coach here. Bruiser got us, uh, was the lead recruiter on, I think, Armand Franklin, Rob Finnessy, and Jordan Geronimo. There is no five-star out-of-state talent who came to Indiana over that time. And you could make the argument that Geronimo was like low-end four-star. And he's really, that was a weird recruitment. I think we can all agree. It was very late, late blooming, and we we're able to snoop up, you know, what am I trying to say? Sweep, we were, sweep in? Sweep in, swoop in. Swoop in, yeah, yeah. That's, we were able to that's, swoop that's in right and grab it. So here's my thing. If you as Archie Miller at the head of the program say that I liked what Bruiser was giving me, and Bruiser may have done a lot of other stuff behind the scenes, talking to players, holding them accountable, all that kind of stuff, and we love Bruiser. Yeah, I think he also took Archie to get his suits. There you go. The idea then that this assistant coach has to be the guy that gets us these out-of-state talent. Like, Indiana isn't going to pay for the best assistant coach in the country who is going to deliver five-star recruits. It's not happening. Even the guys that they're considering, even this kid, the guy from Syracuse, who said no, by the way, no matter how they couch it, they wanted him, and he said no. He hasn't delivered five-star talent at Syracuse. We're going to get a fine assistant coach. But here is my point. The people that Bruiser was able to land as lead recruiter, any serviceable assistant coach at Indiana University should be able to land those guys. Yes. So if that's the case, then go get Jamal Meeks. Go get, I, I, like, I don't know who else is there, but I'm going to use Jamal as the example because Jamal has been recruiting at Division I basketball for many years. He was at Butler for a while, long time off, but has been at Monmouth for a while now. He's East Coast guy. He knows all the people. And he's fantastic to talk to. Well, he's charismatic. He's magnetic. And he loves Indiana and gets it. So, again, if the bar is come in and get the players that Bruiser was able to get, how in the world can you tell me that Jamal Meeks couldn't do that? Well, and Jamal's got that, hey, I didn't grow up in Indiana either. Right. But I learned what it's all about real quick. Totally. Well, that, that, look, that, that is... The, that is the reason why I'm saying Jamal, because right. he gets it. Like, he has that other thing. So, and I don't want to say who said this to me, because I don't think he would like me to say his name. But he was like, look, this idea that, like, there's articles written about assistant coaches that we cannot get, like the Syracuse guy, mm -hmm. there were articles written about him staying at Syracuse. That's not a good look for Indiana. Yeah, is, I get, but like... Hold on, but hold on, hold on. Let me finish, let me finish, let me finish. It's, it's not a great look. I'm not saying it hurts us, okay? I'm not saying it hurts, but I don't love it. But my point is, just 
If you're not going to pay an Indiana with this board of trustees and this president uh-huh. won't pay, we'll see what happens with a new board of trustees and a new president and a new president. They're not going to pay for the number one assist, assistant coach. They don't pay well. Indiana pays as, and on a comparable level to some mid-majors for assistance. So so we're not paying top level. We're not going to get the top level guy. So if you're not going to get the top level guy, then how about this? Our assistant coaching staff is made up of, we're Indiana. We got Mike Roberts. We got Jamal Meeks. We're going to nail this state. And we're going to build our identity on guys who get what it means to be here. And the fact that those guys aren't being considered, and I think Jamal would be at the top of that list mm-hmm. from experience and passion and charisma, he's not even really being considered at this point. It bothers me yeah. because I don't care that they're going to go get some guy who worked at Kansas State or Syracuse or NC State or all these schools that are meaningless to what we want to do. They're not getting the upper echelon guys. So go get the guy who, whose dream job it is to be in Indiana. That will pay more dividends than the guy who's just a mercenary who's not even a top-level mercenary. That, it bothers me. Knowing relatively little about the world of AAU relationships and how that works because it just seems so so much more effective to work as a recruiter with, with AAU coaches that all show up at the same big tournaments around the country every summer. So, um, and I, I'll never get so wonky that I get in there and know all those programs, those coaches and what assistants at what schools have those really strong relationships So I'm guessing that's all being factored into it right now. But I also feel like we're Indiana University. We still are. As much as we've tried for the last 15, 20 years to to somehow make that mean less, it's shocking how much that still should mean when you're going out there. But, But you have to be coming from that place of knowledge, of having been a part of it to really sell people on what it is because you don't have the track record in these kids lifetimes to point back to and be like, no, no, I know we've been basically mediocre for the better part of your entire lifetime, but this is why it's still special. So if you're bringing in just like a hired gun who doesn't get him, get it him or herself, it's just like, come on now, like what's the advantage? What is really the advantage that where somebody who's so charismatic as Jamal, maybe he needs to meet a few more of these AAU coaches from out West or something like that. How long does it take them to like Jamal Meeks? 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I'm with you, man. And again, I want to go back to Bruiser for a second. There are only two schools. There are two schools that recruit better than everybody in the country, Duke and Kentucky. Right? They are head and shoulders. They are like one and two every year. Yeah. For the last five years. Calipari loses his assistant. He goes to the Knicks. Immediately he hires Bruiser Flynn. Okay. That day, Bruiser Flynn. Now we know the history. He worked for him at UMass. Bruiser was on our show talking about how close they are. They're close. But Calipari cares about winning. He really does. Right. And he wouldn't just bring on a friend if he didn't think the friend could help him. He thinks Bruiser can help him and do well there. At the number one recruiting school in the country, they hire Bruiser Flynn. We had him for three years. He couldn't get the five-star out-of-state talent. It's not Bruiser. Mm. It's not Bruiser. Okay? Do the math a little bit. 
He can succeed at Kentucky, according to John Calipari. He can't do the same type of things at Indiana. I don't care who they bring in because they're not going to pay for the crazy five-star, you know, shepherd. They're going to get a serviceable guy. I do not buy that that guy is going to be light years better than what Jamal Meeks would be. I do not buy it. Yeah. We saw it for three years. We saw what a top-notch guy Bruiser Flint could do for three years, and he's an awesome guy, and we love him. But at Indiana, it is difficult to get the guys that we're talking about here. And by the way, Cream got a few of them, okay? And when you're talking about buy-in, more specifically, buy-in. when Rod was talking about buy-in, I'm assuming that's a group effort from the coaching staff. It can't all be on the head coach. So if you're trying to get people to buy in, not just with what kind of offense or defense you're running, but it's like what it means to play for IU, I think Archie would be doing himself a great favor and bringing in a guy not only who's who's really engaging, but a guy who in the locker room, in practice, when it gets tough, when they're in the middle of a grind or a losing streak of somebody goes like, I've been there right here, I've been there. And this name on the front and those people in the crowd, like, th- let that carry you through that. Like, buy into that. It's it's not about you and you're in a shooting slump. That you've got all of these people behind you. And, again, to Rod's point, where, where maybe as soon as there's a, a couple of losses piling up, we all don't run around screaming publicly, at least, that the sky is falling. But maybe that's a good time for we as fans to come out and be like, come on, guys, like bounce back. Like let them see in the Twitter sphere that we've got their back in the middle of a rough stretch. Now, I'm not saying if we're looking at seasons on end of things not going well that there isn't outcry. But as far as this knee-jerk hot take culture that we're in, maybe we could all sort of practice hot takes of, of support and reinforcement to help them get out of, of a bad stretch instead of just immediately crying for heads. Well, we should clip that part from Rod out so that we just have it when we do lose games and just play it like a, as like our mantra. On a loop, to, yeah. Yeah, like they're trying. We know you're trying. Um, look, I, I back to Rod and get off my assistant coach thing. I, I loved him as a player. I love him more talking to him. Another great example. I love him learning how to shoot from his mom. You know, oh, I love him running games with his mom to pick up I ball. Know. Like I've love never it. heard that before. Uh, Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, a guy who ends up scoring 40 a game his senior year, him and his mom are like running five or six games in a row. I know. And he's like, you better guard her like a dude. <laughs> that's that's special. It. That is a special anecdote. Uh, another fun one. What a great guy and wish him nothing but the best of success. And we will, we will keep tabs on him for sure. And charity because he's got to put a ring on it at this point. That's right. That's right. We need to get, we need to get her uh, into assembly hall to get a taste of what this man's life and glory days were before, before they found each other, because she clearly loves him now, but how can you not just, admire somebody and even hopefully that couple of hours she was listening in you know what it takes to put your all into being an indiana basketball player makes you an exceptional human being and that's clearly what he did agreed uh follow us on twitter at hoosier hysterics for the hysterics no e no i but But the the sometimes sometimes why uh we will be back at you next week 
halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.